Hello, welcome to another episode of James Bond and Friends. This week, uh, James Bond was another on another HR course at MI6. He was told to stop mansplaining, um, which is when a man explains something in a really patronizing way to a woman who actually knows more about it than he does. You got that, Lisa? <laughs> 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 All right, so this week we are watching Casino Royale 1967, and if you haven't got a copy, don't go out and buy it or rent it, because um, you'll probably feel like you wasted your money. <laughs> so you can listen to it long instead. So I'm joined by our Spectre crew of Bill, Calvin, Lisa, and David. Would you like to introduce yourself, guys? Uh, hello, everybody. I'm uh, Bill Koenig, and uh, I run a blog called The Spike Man. I'm Calvin Dyson, and I run a YouTube channel where I make videos uh, discussing all various different elements of Bond, uh, films, books, video games, all that stuff. And today I'm drinking a vodka and Diet Coke, but I put a lemon slice in it, which I don't normally do. Mm. Very sophisticated. I know. Being fruity. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I'm Dr. Lisa Funnel. I'm the author of The Geographies, Genders, and Geopolitics of James Bond, editor of For His Eyes Only, The Women of James Bond, and host of License to Critique, a podcast exploring gender in the world of James Bond and beyond. And today I'm drinking a concoction that I made that is one part cranberry juice, one part apple juice, and one part Perrier water. So I made my own like mm. soda pop a thing. Spritzer. Spritzer. There you go. I made my own spritzer for today. Wow. <laughs> And I am David Lee. I run the James Bond dossier. I am author of The Complete Guide to the Drinks of James Bond. And as always, or well, not always, but most of the time, I'm drinking a rum and coke. And a, a, you should see my glass, though. It's it's amazingly clean because I've used the uh, the Bella Freud uh, designed Bond, James Bond tea towel. <laughs> is it a 16 ounce glass for this uh watch uh, it, should, it should be a a a, a liter of, a liter glass just, just, just a carafe a carafe pint <laughs> fifth I've, whatever yeah. i've gone the i've gone the other way i have a pot of coffee to stay awake okay so. okay all right guys so who wants to do the line raw because the version i've got in front of me has an mgm line because they bought the movie <laughs> That's money they're not going to get back. You know what? You know what? I'll uh, I'll do it. Um, I, I, was it say, I, I was going to say it must be J- James's turn. Ooh. No, yeah, say. Mr. Mansplainer. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, true. Go yeah. ahead and growl for us. All right. Has right. everyone, <laughs> yeah. everyone got the film open? Yeah. yeah. Three, two, one, play. <laughs> When um, that was when, sensual. When, well, when, <laughs> when first released, they, it was actually the uh, Columbia Torch Lady, um, because of which was ironic because of course Columbia passed up the chance to do the Eon Bond series. Like, it, this guy Bond is meeting his uh, Mathis. Yeah, mm-hmm. in a uh, Parisian pissoir. Which that's right. Which is 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 it, is it implied he's like. Flashing himself, it's just—it's so I, weird. It's like, yeah, know, what's I the think point? So, yeah, uh, ju- just—I'll um, say that um, I have actually used a pissoir in Paris many, yeah. many years yeah. ago. Yeah, they're really uh, common in French villages and towns. Um, 
I just like, can you imagine the script? Film opens, James Bond, penis in hand. <laughs> well, I, I, th- I think you're giving it too much credit if you think there was a script. <laughs> well, and, and by the way, we're seeing the main titles now, and it's like, this is probably the best part of the movie, which is the main theme <laughs> by Burt Backrack. Um, which we can't enjoy because we're watching our mute. Right, uh, yeah. But I, do like the the use of, but I do like the use of horns throughout the song which I thought was just like an interesting, if we were thinking about sort of like the sounds of James Bond and, and, and the use of, of horns in, in the musical score, I made that connection when I, when I watched it. And I thought, wow, this is pretty, pretty neat. And maybe this is the peak. There's also animation for the first letter of each mm-hmm. person's credit. Um, Richard Williams, who was a very great uh, animator, like worked on this scene. Another thing that's better than the film itself, but uh. <laughs> can you imagine walking into this in 1967, not knowing it was a spoof? It was just a James Bond movie, and like, what are you thinking at this point? You know, <laughs> ironically, uh, the US TV show Mad Men, in like the end of one season, had a reference to this. It was like Don Draper is like meeting one of his women coworkers at a theater. It must have been like a, supposed to be a matinee, and like they're talking, and then. The lights go down and you hear this theme music. It's like they're going to see this film. And then in the end titles of the episode, you hear Nancy Sinatra singing You Only Live Twice. So they like knocked off the two James Bond films in 1967 in the same episode. Mm. And The Look of Love, sung by Dusty Springfield, like another, you know, highlight of the film such as it is and wolf mangovitz one of the credited screenwriters the guy who introduced broccoli to salts i do like how it says suggested by the novel by ian fleming right yeah yeah, the the suggestion was could we use a little more of the novel no oh okay it was just a suggestion Hmm. and uh, i believe that we just saw the credits for uh six different directors which is quite yeah. something amazing yeah and then additional sequences by val guest because i know val guest was the person the <laughs> producer turned to to be sort of like okay we need to make sense of this now because uh well I, I, we might go into individual stories as we go through the film but it goes without saying that this was an incredibly troubled production yes. um, cast and crew like everyone is coming off and on this thing getting paid ridiculous amounts of money and then just you know not turning up or whatever peter sellers was obviously a big issue um but it it, 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 it came go- down to that one person who was pretty much val guest to sort of try to coordinate it into something that they could release in cinemas uh, and this is what we get and um it had a reported budget of like 12 million dollars which is like nothing today but it was like three million more than you only live twice like you only live twice which had the you know the volcano Volcano. crater (laughs) headquarters anyway well i think uh, oh sorry go on bill i was just gonna say one uh john houston must have had some gambling debts he had to pay off and he like (laughs) gets to direct (laughs) and appear in the movie we have william holden like oh i'm getting some money and like but Actually, the most interesting guy in this sequence with the car is uh, this guy. He's supposed to be a Russian. Is is the actor's name is Kurt Kaznar. He was in in the military in World War II. He was a photographer and like he photographed the wreckage of Hiroshima, and then like went on to be an actor. 
and a long career as an actor, but I think that Hiroshima assignment like caused his ultimate demise because I think he died of cancer. Oh God! Like, like a two or three decades after that Hiroshima assignment, but uh, mm. anyway, but he was a familiar face on U.S. television. He frequent guest star and so forth. Mm. I think um, just to uh, talk about producer uh, Charles K. Feldman, because I think he's one of the reason, like Bill, you just said about John Houston uh, needed to pay some gambling debts. I don't think you're far off with that, with with that assumption. I think Charles uh, K. Feldman was a bit of a, you know, a, he you know wheeler dealer. He had a big pocketbook, and he could just call people up and call in favors, and that's why we have the assembly of cast we have here but oh, this is coming off of uh what's new pussycat which yeah. was a very similar sort of style of comedy with uh peter o'toole was in that and peter sellers and a lot of other big names as well and this was kind of i think this was feldman's next film after that it certainly got a lot of similarities and same kind of screwy vibe to it right and um well feldman of course he at what you know had been a talent agent or ran a talent agency and one of his employees of course was albert r broccoli mm. and um and at one point broccoli got thrown off the mgm lot because louis b mayer and charles k feldman were like chasing after the same actress or something and so you know the the story is on one of the um Eon uh, extras, which is a biography of uh, Albert R. Broccoli, and it's about and they inter they had interviewed uh, Robert Wagner, and so like Robert Wagner was a young star in the fifties, and like he and Broccoli are thrown off the MGM lot, and like in this interview for the extra, you know Robert uh, <laughs> Robert Wagner saying my career is ruined because like I'm. Albert R. Broccoli's is my agent. Um, it was just a weird. It, that's old time Hollywood stuff. But uh, hmm. and here we have David what? Niven with uh, whatever it is he's wearing on his head. It's a turban. But so I think his casting is interesting because I know that he was considered for the role of Bond, but obviously they went with Sean Connery. So watching this, I was like, so this is possibly, I, I, again, I know that it's supposed to be like a spoof, but this is potentially what a Bond film could could look like. Yes. And then through their conversation, I think one of the things that struck me was, you know, talking about, and I'm wondering, and maybe you could answer this, is this the origins of the codename theory that, you know, he was James Bond, 007, and now they've continued on the name of James Bond 007, you know, because it's, it's part of the institution, it's needed for national security. And so I thought that that was really interesting. And so any thoughts on either the casting um, or the code theory? With, well, with, sorry, Bill, I, you get... I'm sorry, I was about to say, Ben Hecht, an Oscar-winning screenwriter who is not credited on this film, he died in 64. He worked on a kind of regular adaptation of the novel he introduced that concept in like one of his drafts and it was like i think in one of his drafts not all of them it was like bond you know there was a replacement bond and but anyway that was i think that's the origin and so like after heck died i think the successors on this project glommed onto that project lisa what i'm trying to say in a roundabout way is like yes i think this is an 
beginning of that codename theory. Yeah, mm -hmm. and um, just to answer another part of your point, Lisa, the um, David Niven and uh, Ian Fleming actually knew each other. Uh, they both worked in intelligence, and I, I, I don't know how well, although I, I know that Niven, I think he visited him at Goldeneye, um, and I, I don't think he particularly liked him, but I'm going to say something I think fairly controversial in that I think that David Niven is probably the best representation of Bond that uh, that uh, Ian Fleming could have imagined because he mm -hmm. he's very very similar to him in in many respects I think. Also, mm -hmm. David Niven was about Ian Fleming's age. Fleming was born in 1908. Uh, Niven was born in 1910. Uh, so they were certainly of the same generation. And I do like David Niven. So just sort of throw throw mm -hmm. I've seen enough yeah. interviews and 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 you know other things that he's done and I always think that it's really and hey, I find hey, him to be a very humorous person. He's a, hey, he's a you, great person to tell his, a story. Have you read his memoirs? No, I haven't. Oh my god, yeah, they're so funny. Uh, <laughs> it, it, one of the one of them is called The Moon is a Balloon. I, I can't remember what yeah. the other one's called. Bring on the empty horses, I think. Um <laughs> I, I swore I would not say this during the recording, but I can't help myself. David Niven and Charles Boyer, who we saw in the scene before this, they were business partners in a production company called Four Star that made a lot of TV shows. Um, their partner was uh, Dick Powell, who died in 1963. So um, just FYI, just probably explains why Charles Boyer is in this film, along with David Niven. They were old pals. Would Ian Fleming's James Bond retire in a house like that? No. <laughs> no. House? <laughs> James <laughs> Castle? <laughs> well, M would. But it does seem interesting, like this conversation of retirement, which also centers around um, this notion that James Bond is actually full of morals and values. Like, I think that's what, and I think what this right. film does is it offers a big critique. Um, of, that's my dog saying hi. Uh, it offers a big <laughs> critique of, of sort of the James Bond lifestyle. And I thought that that was an interesting element. I think the way, the role that women play in this film is also an interesting element. And I use interesting and very flexible in that way. But yeah, I, I thought that this was an interesting component. The rest of the film sort of just sort of takes off from here in a direction I didn't expect. <laughs> like, I'm like, okay, I think I know what this film is about. This is an interesting concept. And then I'm like, oh, okay. I, th I think Charles Ooh. K. Feldman didn't expect it either. Um, <laughs> but yeah, be because just before this point, oh, oh M loses his uh, toupee. Oh, um, my God. It's so um, weird because it's the building that's behind them that is getting blown up, but then it wasn't. It's, yeah, it's very, oh, this is really confusingly done. And then I, we cut to this. <laughs> well, I, just real quick, I was about to say, so at one point, David Niven Bond chastises John Huston M about, oh, that bloke you oh, had Bentley. succeed me, and like, which is a, clearly a reference to Sean Connery Bond, like, oh, it's uh, just, uh, it's, mm. we're already out of control and we're in what? Uh, 12 minutes. 12 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> So th this is the only Bond film with the correct Bentley, though. I think that looks like a blower. Yep, it is. I do kind of agree with Lisa, though, on 
Like, I, I think, like, it, for the first, like, ten minutes, the, the story does depart wildly from those first ten minutes, but it is kind of like a nice setup. It's subverting expectations of what James Bond is. It's sort of trying to bring him out of retirement. And for a comedy, that could be quite funny if he's sort of playing against type of what we expect Bond to be. That sort of goes away quite quickly, but then David Niven sort of disappears from the film for about an hour at some point. He, dis- he disappeared from the production, so... <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. So I don't. Was M visiting Bond's house lifted for you to live and let die? Screenplay. A few years later, there there are some things in this film where the official series, I think, took inspiration. Oh, I, say. I I saw a connection with Honor Majesty's Secret Service and this entire like castle scene with all the women and all this interest in him, and he's not interested in anybody. Only. In this case, he's genuinely not interested, whereas in Honor Majesty's Secret Service, he's putting on airs. So I, th- <laughs> I saw a connection with that film um, in mm-hmm. particular when I watched this. Although I have to say, I did laugh at this this this, this piece of dialogue talking <laughs> the about the hair. hair p- <laughs> <laughs> so good. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. No, there are bits of this that I laugh at as well. We, we'll come up to a bit um, later on with Ronnie Corbett and Anna Quayle that I think is genuinely really funny uh, and well done. But, uh, this is a weird tangent. Like this entire scene? Like this yeah, entire section this of the film? Scot- no, going to no, Scotland. This entire movie is a tangent. <laughs> but, yeah. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. I apologize. Uh, no, no, no. You're quite right. <laughs> That's like, okay. Okay. This is about as far as I got watching it before we started recording. It's like, what is this animal? What are, what is this? I, mm. Here's the thing. If you're going to do a spoof, the jokes have to be funny. It's mm. like a lot of the jokes in this movie aren't funny. It's like, mm. from what I understand, I, I think it was sort of a, very much a product of its time with, you know, seeing What's New Pussycat and um, Peter Sellers, what was that called? The Goon Show, what he did, the radio show. And I know that yeah. th- th- this kind of humor is sort of Monty Python would do a lot of this kind of, it. a lot of it is just random for random sake. Uh, I don't quite know how to describe it, but um, I don't know. It, it strikes me as a very 60s specific yeah. kind of humor. The, um, the Goodies was another... Mm. True comedy troupe of the same ilk. Oh, okay. Really oh, yeah. I used to love the goodies. Mm. That kind I, of slap slapstick. Um, I think I read a uh, quote. I'm sorry. I thought I read a quote once from Deborah Carr about how she uh, paid for a swimming pool for her appearance in this film. Hmm. <laughs> Which I think is like the main motivation for a lot of actors. Well, it's like the, the Michael Caine house in Spain, Jaws 3 story, isn't it? That's, yeah, yeah. I've never seen the film, but I go to see my swimming pool. <laughs> <laughs> Any thoughts on the carpet, Calvin? Because, I mean, the walls are, you know. Valor. Wow. And yeah. Any thoughts on the red carpet with the red walls, with the red whatever that bed framing oh. stuff is? I, I hadn't uh, noticed, actually. I was so uh, entranced by the rest of the room that the, the floor escaped my, escaped my <laughs> gaze. Oh, Putting you is... on the spot here. <laughs> oh. the, set, the set dresses and the production design must have just been like, we've got how much money? <laughs> right? Just like spaff it up the walls, as I, far well, as we say. Uh, I've read accounts of this. It's like 
there are all these sets being made and like nobody could figure out, well, who authorized this? It's like, well, nobody knows because they were just building all these sets, you know, just. Mm, The floor is nasty. We just had a bit of a (laughs) closer shot of it there. That was not good. Oh, Oh, the come hither look. They got names on the doors. (laughs) <laughs> oh, and a bear. You know it's a high quality place. Yeah. <laughs> Obscure callbacks. All I can think of is like David, think of David Niven, like, I hope you got a lot of money for this. Um, hey, look, it's the 1960s showers and baths that are super steamy. And the wallpaper doesn't peel. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. So he got changed to walk down the hallway to <laughs> take it off again. <laughs> <laughs> that was a scene we needed. Yeah. This entire you know, scene makes me feel very awkward with a daughter imagine? talking about her father and taking baths with him. I know it's a joke, but like it's so icky when you yeah. think about the dialogue. It's like, oh, we're making a joke out of like. Can you imagine the oh. production manager having to check off all this stuff? Like, well, we got the set, we have this thing to film, we got this scheduled. Like, what the hell is going on? Like, nobody knows. <laughs> where's, where's, where's the David Niven silk dressing gown replica? Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's that that's coming Monday on the 007 store. <laughs> I want the M's daughter bath cap with great. <laughs> Thing. <laughs> the casino, the casino royale twenty-seven M hairpiece <laughs> coming soon for two thousand pounds on the 007 store. Now we know what we're giving each other for Christmas. It's going to be the mm-hmm. best Christmas exchange that we've ever had. <laughs> oh God! Sorry, I'm just watching this scene. It's cringeworthy. Yeah, it's so cringeworthy. Yeah. We could have watched Casino Royale 54 just reminding everybody, but okay. Because <laughs> mm. we'd be done in an hour. Yeah. Uh, mm. So, okay. So this came out in 67. So like David Nevin was 57 when he, this was released. Aww. I'd just like to right. point out that a view to a kill takes shit for the hot tub scene. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. This is us pushing back. That's right. Well, we built the set. We've got to use it twice. There you go. There's yeah. a shot. Well, <laughs> not not to mention the uh, cheesy uh, special effects we'll have later. But um, mm-hmm. I get your point, Lisa. This is very Majesties, isn't it? Uh, yeah. The That's all uh, that I thought about. Only she's not Irma Bunt. Me. Right. <laughs> Maybe, maybe Peter Hunt was like watching this, like really drunk, and like I, I got some great ideas for my movie. <laughs> See, I'm telling you, this is Honor Majesty's Secret Service. Yeah, right? yeah. Oh, yeah, it's like, is she, does she uh, like write uh, a room number with lipstick on his leg? Mm-hmm. Not yet, but like, yeah. Mm-hmm. Not, yeah. All right. What could have been since we've uh, hit a uh, 
There's going to be plenty moment. of dead pieces later, Bill. <laughs> We're 20 minutes in, Bill. It's a bagpipe playing in smoke to get through later. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. I'm going to like close the book now. We'll oh, yeah, that's a great shot. Oh, Deborah, Deborah Carr is like, oh, I'm like into this. And like, why are these, why is everybody like falling down? I'm not really sure. The, uh, the drugs in the booze all kick off at the exact same time. I okay. thought they all died. Like, I, again, thought this whole movie was going in a whole different direction. I'm like, oh, my gosh, they're all dead. <laughs> and then, no, they just all got drunk and passed out at the same time. Deborah Carr, I used to be a movie star, uh, but not now. Maybe it was fun for some of the cast. I, you know, yeah. I don't know if this is, you know, you turn up, you get paid an awful lot, you just be silly for a bit. Mm-hmm. Who cares if it makes that sense? Was, that was all, that was all their careers dying. Stop. Uh, <laughs> Stop. <laughs> oh, excuse me. Uh, I used to be a star. I'm not so, anymore. So because uh, yeah, so Bond didn't drink because David Nivers Bond didn't drink because he's what teetotal in this. Oh, I just, I, I just thought it was like he could handle the booze better than everyone else. And, like he, wears, no, it's not, it's, and he wears a nightshirt with a nightcap. <laughs> like, Perfect oh. for seduction. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I once, uh, I once I, proposed that uh, somebody, you know, Bond fans should give Michael G. Wilson a, a nightshirt and nightcap because he's always <laughs> tired. <laughs> Something like this. Don't forget the stockings. Yeah, oh yeah. It'd be perfect. Did this remind anybody else of true lies? With like Not the bed in frame? The least. Not in the least. <laughs> I thought about it. <laughs> As true lies pulling a bit from this. Probably not, but David David Niven's got very odd shaped feet, hasn't he? Oh, what? oh, oh, yeah, you're right. Oh, goodness. <laughs> oh, my God. There, we, we've discovered something tonight. Oh, God. Pig feet? Ah. Oh. <laughs> I don't know what's going on there. <laughs> Maybe that's why she's so attracted to him. Those feet. <laughs> hmm. Oh. Uh. So um, Deborah Carr is a double agent here, isn't she? She's not actually M's widow. Is are are you right? trying to attempt to? Are we trying to attempt to describe the plot as we go through this? <laughs> um, I, I, I was wondering. It's been a while since I've seen this one. Um, a good few years. It's not one to just like put on and chill out to. <laughs> it's, it's been a few decades since I've seen it. Uh, I'm in the same boat. <laughs> just like, what is going on? And I, I can, see, I can see why I haven't been attracted back to it for a while. <laughs> I mean, look at David Niven. He's like, okay, his nitrate goes down to Bond, his ankles. James Bond. <laughs> I mean, like I said, I think like like what Lisa was saying earlier on, I, I do think it, conceptually, have, you know, subverting expectations of what James Bond is. And I think that's mm-hmm. that's a good sort of base to, you know, go for comedy. I, I just don't think it works at all. Like this could be good. It's like, you know, that classic like Johnny English or, uh, mm-hmm. you know, Get Smart with Steve Carell, whatever, um, you know, no. the bumbling lead I'm, spy. I'm, but I, I'm sorry. This is not up to the standards of Get Smart. Just no, Get not. Smart the movie. Not 
get yeah, smart I know. too. I, I even get smart the movie. Like, <laughs> yeah, no, I'd agree with that actually. Yeah, <laughs> much less the, the original show. What they're yelling? Uh. Well, he has to throw this big stone ball because because yeah <laughs> yeah yeah that's, that's it all. just because yeah. because oh no he needs to catch it yeah that's it. Uh, um. One of John Gardner's books uh, has yes. bond. Yeah, license uh, renewed, isn't it? Yeah. Where he spends most of the, uh, the Scottish castle Island games doing the tossing the caber and stuff. Yes, yes. And Deborah Carr blows her horn again, like uh, leaving behind whatever's left of her dignity. <laughs> oh. I mean, it's I mean, it's one thing for an extra to lose his dignity. He's an extra. He's a stuntman, whatever. But it's like. Deborah Carr, you're like one of the great movie stars up till now. Like, mm-hmm. oh, and the, okay, we have got another guy who can't lift. This. Oh, never mind. Just I, I can't explain it. I would love to see this in like a cinema, you know, with an audience, just to see like if people react. Because when you do watch this, just like you know, either alone or just with a couple of other people or whatever, it's so like there aren't punchlines. There aren't like sort of oh, this is the laugh moment in in, in most cases. It's really strange comedy in that yeah. respect. So, so James, after the pandemic, MI6 needs to organise a screening somewhere. <laughs> yeah, well, it's a sellout for a socially distanced theatre. Oh. oh, good grief! The guy, like, shit. <laughs> Deborah Carr is like blowing her horn for the oh sixth time God. in this scene. Like, nobody can lift this, and finally, someone can like toss it to him and he holds it. Fine. Well, after this. Bar, uh, Deborah Kerr went to make on another film with David Niven Prudence in the pill the year after. So they kept working. To, they kept working together after this was over. Oh Jesus! But that's incredible. No, it's incredible. This movie got made in the first place. <laughs> really, he's superb. No, it's superb that our producer like authorized all this spending. <laughs> and she's blowing the horn again. Good God. <laughs> oh. Again, I, I just say it's like if you want to do a spoof, fine. Just make sure the jokes are funny. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm very happy to say that Mir- Miriam, <laughs> my wife, just uh, brought me a glass and a bottle of wine. So uh, it's going to get oh. easier. It's going to be easier. Just, 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 skip, just skip the glass, David. Just take yeah, it. Skip, yeah, exactly. Just take take out the cork and show it, it's the, open. Show it's the o- opened as well. All right. Uh-huh. He's a god. Uh, no, he's not. But that's fine. Yeah, I'm, I'm a bit lost now. Well, I think they're turning on a Deborah Carr was so turned on by David Niven's uh, strength there that now she's no longer uh, as dedicated to the cause as the rest are. So they've uh, turned on her. Okay, it's perfectly clear, James. I don't know what you. Right. <laughs> I, I I I've always I was always waiting for the Corgi diecast VW wagon with <laughs> yes. with what in the hell in the back. 
I was waiting for you to get to the describing that. That's the thing that they send the robot bird out of, isn't it? The robot grouse comes out of it. Oh, God, I can't even remember that. Yeah, I'm surprised I remember it. Uh, <laughs> I, I think now Deborah Carr is like desperate to uh, climb uh, Sir James's body. Mm. I think. I'm not sure. And it, was this the grouse hunt? Yes. Uh, oh, God, they shot a real. Yeah, Good bird there. Oh, saw some crap. blood coming out. Huh? Yeah, oof, that was. Hmm. See these unofficial Bond films and their animal cruelty. It's just. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, there was you know the, goat, the goat YouTube hang, video. hanging upside down <laughs> earlier as well. So. Hmm. Yeah. Oh. Stuffed Wouldn't animals. be a slapstick spoof without some uh, climbing up a gutter. Swinging around with it, yeah, and some do- and some uh, dodgy uh, back projections, <laughs> yes, yes. Mm. and uh, obvious uh, stunt <laughs> stunt performers. And I know when I wear lingerie, I tend to wear rubber boots like that, just hanging out in my <laughs> yeah. own house, Al- almost knee high boots, mm-hmm. like uh, just yeah. in case I need to, yeah, drop out of my window and yeah. run after my love. All right. It always pays to be prepared. <laughs> oh, and these uh Oh, the fake birds. Uh mm. drones in 1967. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Bird mm-hmm. backrack. Earning his money though. He's like Yeah, I th- I think when when anybody says, you know, die another day or you know, whatever film it is, uh, is the worst Bond film. They need to, uh, put, they need to get out their DVD of Casino Royale '67, pop it in, and just watch a few minutes of it. And, uh, a half hour tops. <laughs> how far into this are we? Jesus Christ! Oh, we are half an hour. <laughs> oh, why was that? She- I think that's the uh, some of the same explosion sound effects as in the uh, Eon Bond films, though. Huh. There you they go. They just come from the same sound library, don't they? Right. <laughs> but I do have to say, these two do work well together. The material that they're working with is pretty much crap. But the two of them, I think, I can see why they would work together again. I think that they actually have chemistry and a sense of camaraderie in, in working with this scene. And so I can see why they would star again in another film together. Yeah, mm. the, the the only part of that I would disagree with is the pretty much crap. <laughs> <laughs> I was being uh, kind. It was, it was it was like they they uh, read the script together. It's like, oh, this script makes sense. I like mm. that other one we just did. <laughs> but no, I, I agree. I think the, the pair of them have chemistry, and I I don't know if they were friends in real life. It wouldn't surprise me if they were, but they do just look to be having some silly fun here, uh, mm-hmm. and and that's quite nice because we're definitely going to get some scenes later on where the actors are certainly not having fun. Whereas here, I think they're kind of enjoying hamming it up a bit, being a bit silly. Uh, And she decides that she's going to go and become a nun now. Right. Which I do quite like this moment, actually, when she goes running off and he falls over because his pants are down. (laughs) Uh. 
I'm easily amused. <laughs> <laughs> We've just had three scenes of him having his pants taken on and off. <laughs> What's that thing in his cap? It looks like a little brush or something. What is yeah, that? A shaving tail. brush. Yeah. Oh, it. Yeah, a bird feather? Hmm. Whatever they had on hand when they made the costume design. <laughs> I'll just stick this right on in. Go find a badger. We need some badger hair for this costume. We've got ten thousand pounds left. <laughs> God, this scene really does go on, doesn't it? This the shot. <laughs> but it is kind of romantical. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, they're definitely selling it. I don't know what they're saying. And then I think she said she's going to live. Yeah. Yeah. There's the convent over that hill. (laughs) Off she goes. See, I quite like this. Tons tons of tons of convents in rural Scotland. (laughs) (laughs) I like him falling over. So, do do you think they got the idea for Skyfall for this? That should be the the hero image of this movie, you know. Like on the VOD, should be like David Niven with his pants down on his head. It actually should, because the poster that there is, it's it's usually a sort of um, illustration of a naked woman with various patterns on her and Mm -hmm. stuff. And it's a really cool poster, but it does not tell you anything about what to expect uh, from the film. Fun fact: um, they when. After MGM bought the rights to this movie, they tweaked that poster ah. to take 007 off it. Hmm. Interesting. Maps, Lisa, maps. <laughs> yeah, and I was just, this is something that I was thinking of. Like, I kind of like the fact that, number one, we have, like, a spatial depiction of what is going on, like a little miniature. And I, I do like the set design with the with the young women in yep. the middle and that this is an organization, like, the infrastructure of it is is pretty much solely run by women. And I found that that was something that I just thought was incredibly unique. And I love the fact that so many women had paychecks, you know, and are populating the world of this film and that they die, right? Like, you know, oh, oh, they just crash into each other and die. For some reason, I I like that fact that we have so many women involved in this film. I just Mm. wish the script was a little bit stronger. But yeah, I like like the imagery that I see. And there's another opportunity for merchandise here. Scalex Street Casino Royale 67. (laughs) (laughs) With killer milk float. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. To be seen later in the Living Daylights. Mm-hmm. Oh dear! <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. Can I read something real quick? Yeah. So, um, nineteen sixty-two. Um, let me find it here in this Howard Hawks biography. Oh, the milk went back on the back of the lorry. Oh, the inspiration Hmm. for the living daylights. Um, all right. So, uh, in 62, Charles Feldman contacted, uh, Howard Hawks and, um, find it here. Hang on. The milk floats back. What? 
I can't believe I'm trying to pick apart continuity in this case. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So Charles Feldman and Howard Hawks brought Lee Brackett out to Los Angeles to discuss an approach to the script, and Hawks fancied the idea of Cary Grant in the role of the Dapper 007. Later in the year, Feldman and Hawks got an advanced print print of Dr. No from England, and thus were among the first Americans to see the initial Sean Connery Bond film. Hawks promptly lost interest in pursuing Casino Royale, but Feldman persisted. So mm-hmm. yes, so for a brief time, Howard Hawks and uh, Lee Brackett. Lee Brackett, which, uh, that, that could have been Max. interesting. Yeah, Max. a Howard Max. Hawks directed Casino Royale scripted by Lee Brackett would have been very interesting, but like, yeah, didn't happen. It's a more traditional map. <laughs> Lee Brackett, for those who uh, don't know, was a uh, she wrote science fiction stories, but she was also a screenwriter and like had worked on the 1946 version of the uh, Big Sleep, mm. and had worked on a number of Howard Hawks films and like and her last uh, film credit was actually the uh, Empire Strikes Back, mm. but uh, she had seen it. Yeah, but you haven't seen it, but uh, she died in 1978, and her script got rewritten because the movie came out in 1980. But anyway, but like she was a great screenwriter, and she was known for like writing um, a lot of snappy dialogue. Uh, somebody, and I forget, Myvin Hawk said, you know, a woman who wrote like a man. But anyway. I just got an, I got an idea for my home office refurb, which is that folding fold down picture frame, which turns into a bar. It's <laughs> quite cool, which, wasn't it? Yes. Mm, nice. Um, just on the rights issue, like how did the rights end up here? Bill, do you know much about that? Uh, a little bit, a little bit. Um, a guy named Gregory Ratoff had acquired the rights from Fleming. Ratoff then passed away, and. Uh, Feldman got the rights after that. Hmm. So Feldman had the rights for a number of years, and um, yeah, so so that's that's what happened. It was hmm. there was you know the the rights, of course, were always separate from the the Eon package. Um, hmm. Oh, yeah, was, yeah, I mean, it's because because it, it, Fleming Ian Fleming was trying to sell the the, the TV or, or film rights very early on. Right, and yeah, so, he, he, but he he was selling them on a, on an individual basis. Well, when you've got one book, you, that's all you can do. So, uh, that, that, I mean that that's the, that's the reason it went astray, really. Hmm. It's a very elaborate set for this. <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, it partially explains why this movie cost twelve mm. million dollars. <laughs> I think this is a, a good gag. Um, yeah, they, it, you know, if Woody Allen jumps over the. Wall and escape the firing squad to find another one. <laughs> Good. That's right. Yeah. Yes, because Woody Allen is supposed to be uh, James Bond's nephew, Jimmy Bond. Mm. Uh, it's the ridiculous set design in this film. It's like that bar that pops out must have taken somebody a week to make. It's in the for like seven frames of the movie the map just mm. hid behind a sliding painting which god knows how long <laughs> that took him to make oh, oh later the... on we'll see like a whole like choir <laughs> come up from a wow. like a, a hole in the ceiling it's some of the yeah money being spent in this is insane 
again, Feldman like should have like paid Connery the million dollars. Like, do it, Charles. You would have saved yourself a lot of trouble. Mm-hmm. Oh, and I guess these are all all the uh, alternate James Bonds. I guess. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. This actress is named Barbara Boucher. Um. Playing Miss Moneypenny's daughter. Uh. Yes, and she had been on uh, one of her early appearances was an Otto Preminger directed war film called In Harm's Way. Um, oh, and this guy is supposed to like really look like uh, the Connery Bond, such as it is. But Connery, I'll take the million dollars, but I'm just doing this one scene. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Terrence Cooper is the actor. Mm. He was cast because he looked kind of, sort of, kind of like Connery. Yeah, if you um, had been drinking rather heavily. (laughs) (laughs) Something like that. Well, given the history of this film, probably... Or, or drop something else. <laughs> Acid. LSD. <laughs> so the irony is that sequence we just saw is not too unlike the Eon casting process for Majesties. <laughs> Line up for guys and then just to make to make sure Lazenby was straight, they sent the girl to his room. Oof. Yeah. They skip over that in uh, the official history. Hmm. Yeah, Lazenby's very happy to tell it, though. Amazing <laughs> that uh, yeah. they would skip over that in the official history. Uh. Oh, she's dressed like um, Ursula yeah, Andress. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh. Hmm. <laughs> I'm just sorry to the people listening to this, watching the long I'm, I'm sorry we put you through this. Um, yeah, the, the thing is, if they if they if they're listening without watching the film, there are a lot of gaps. That's right. We're we're 43 minutes into this. <laughs> Good oh, lord, and nothing's happened. Well, no, no actually, and yeah, you all give license, and you all give shit to Vito Kill for being slow. Good grief. But I can offer a critique here. I mean, what they're trying to show is this idea that, in a very heteronormative way, that women are the weakness of men. And and they're really trying to showcase, you know, him getting stronger in this moment. That concept itself I find to be incredibly problematic. And I think it's a very patriarchal concept where you blame women for the actions and emotions of men. so yeah, if you wanted to have a very serious critique, that's that's how I feel about that. Although I do think his like over the shoulder throws of these women is pretty impressive. They they certainly, I mean, it, that's a hard hit. Um, mm. So yeah, that was my serious critique. Mm. <laughs> I think we yeah. Sorry for laughing at your serious I, critique. I, I, no, I, it's just, I don't think this film deserves a serious critique because it's, you know what I mean? I think we're doing it too much service to. Mm-hmm. 
think about uh, it. Here we are with Ursula Andrews as Vespa Lind. I, I just, I don't remember most of this film. It's unbelievable. <laughs> I thought Peter Sellers was in it by now, but uh, maybe we're not far off. So I have two questions. Number one, is she an inspiration for Fatima Blush? Because I see her and I think of sort of, in this scene particular, the costuming of Fatima Blush. And my second question is, it has to do with voices. So I noticed that um, David Niven speaks with a stutter, and I think that is something that he's putting intentionally into the character. Is Ursula Andress speaking with her own voice in this film? Yes. Does anybody know? Yeah. And yeah. it was one of those things when I was watching it that I kept thinking to myself, she, I don't under, I, I do understand why she was dubbed, but I really wish that they didn't dub her in Dr. No, because I like her voice and I like the, the way that she enunciates words. I like the emotion that she puts behind it. And I think that Honey Rider, I don't know, could have just been a more fleshed out character had she been able to speak with her own voice. Mm. Mm, yeah, I agree. The dubbing of the actresses, like even I, because I was uh, rewatching some of the deleted scenes from uh, For Your Eyes Only, and even um, Carol Bouquet in that film, Melina Havelock, um, her voice is dubbed, and in the deleted scene you hear her actual voice, and it's a bit deeper, and there's more of a an accent, but it's really nice. It's like, oh, mm-hmm. this, it, it works better than the voice that they, they that they gave her. I don't know who the actress I was think, who did the dubbing. I but. think she gets unfairly critiqued for having a wooden performance when most of the, the wood in that performance is from the dub. Yeah. Yeah. It's not. I agree yeah. with that. We would probably I'm, have I'm a different connection. Of accents, I've got to say. Hmm. No, I, I am married to a woman with an accent. <laughs> uh. Ah, so here we are with Peter Sellers. So I believe that this was the first stuff that they shot for the film, because the, the whole point of this was that it was going to be Peter Sellers as James Bond. But Peter Sellers, at this point in his career, he just wanted to play James Bond. He didn't want to be a spoof comedy version of that. So he was always at odds with the production because he basically wanted to just play this straight. He wanted this to be a straight Bond film. Um, but they kept just like pushing the comedy. Uh, and then he eventually just left. He had a lot of other things going on in his personal life as well. Um, but we'll see his character come to a very abrupt end later in the film because they literally just, he wasn't there and they had to wrap up and every, everything else in the film is kind of framed around this. It's why you see him very seldom interacting with any of other actors. Um, apart from mostly their interest and one shot with Orson Welles yeah. because they had a falling out. So the shots had to be uh, filmed separately, even though they were in and, the same scene. And, and, and a, a serious Bond film connection. He would, well, ser- ser- serious ish anyway. He was married to Britt Eklund. Mm, yeah. Yes. Yes. I just got back from getting a cup of coffee. Um, you didn't miss anything. <laughs> I don't Aww. think so. Um, well, I thought no, what I said it was interesting. Well, well no, I meant other no. films. Sorry, no, commentary was quite interesting. <laughs> uh, 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 film. All right, so um, um, I like her uh, moose molds that she's got in the wall there. Her jellies. My parents yeah. had those on their wall growing up right. in, in the copper. Yeah, they're, ex- they're expensive yeah. now. What's it for? Oh. It's when you make um in the sixties and seventies, like um like jellies and mousses were like really uh popular desserts for big meals. So they're, mm, they're, they're just they're mousse, jelly. Yeah, they're moose molds. Yeah. Huh. Um Peter, the song. O- Peter O'Toole shows up later in the uh 
I think the sequence that Calvin was describing when Peter Toole makes his abrupt end, but um, oh, and this is the uh, look of love. Slow motion in the James Bond films. Yeah. Mm. Some of this looks quite nice. Like this aquarium is quite well, lovely. And well, also the director of photography was Jack Hilliard, was like one of the greatest British uh, directors of photography. Um, mm. So, like, like this this movie did not lack for uh, talented crew members and did mm. not lack for talented actors. It just was yeah, so yeah, messed yeah. up. I think, I think maybe the cine- cinematography is better than some of the official series. Hmm. Yeah. You know, it, 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 uh, I, especially I, the guy I, Hamilton. I was thinking that earlier mm. on, uh, before we started this one, I, I was just having a look at the at the beginning of the film, and uh, I, I, it, I don't know, there's something about it, and I thought, blimey, actually, this is, it looks quite. Good. It's it's kind of taken down by the cheap effects back projection mm. when they use it. Sure, if it right. wasn't for that, but, if it wasn't for that, but yeah. but that's not Hilliard's fart. No, no, fault. no. And, yeah. uh, and also, uh, Nicholas Roeg, I'm not sure of the pronunciation, would later become a director himself, did additional photography, and he, he gets a credit in the main titles. Um, he directed uh, David Bowie and what was The Man Who Came Down From Earth, I the think. Man Who Fell to Earth, yeah. Fell to Earth, yeah. So, like, there were like a ton of talented people who worked on this film, both in front of and behind the camera, but it was just such a mess. <laughs> it just, it just, it should have been a lot better than it was. Well, it just goes to show that there is such a thing as too much. Yeah. And before we uh, began um, uh, recording, I mentioned how in 1967, um, Ursula Andrus appeared on the U.S. TV program uh, What's My Line is the Mystery Guest and uh, she was promoting this film and she was quickly discovered by the panel to be the mystery guest but um, she spoke in, you know, without uh, Nick, Nikki Vandersil dubbing her and um, it's a whole it, it just reminds you of the what was considered acceptable in that era because like when she comes out there's all these cat calls from the audience the panel is blindfolded they they don't know who she is but the audience does and there's like it's a little uh, kind of like grimace a little yeah. bit watching it today but so I got a question for everybody um Apart from her two Bond appearances, have you seen any film with Ursula Anderson in it? Uh, I think I have, but I can't remember what it is. Um, she did I a saw- lot. I'm just saying that they, they they didn't. A lot of them didn't find up big audiences. No, there, uh, there was there was something in the early '80s. It was like a Harry. Oh, who was the guy who did the? Um, I know oh, who you mean. The, the stop motion stuff. Stop mo yeah. yeah and, uh, yes. And Ray Harryhausen. Yes. Ray, yeah. Yes. Exactly. Because I actually saw that in the theater in the early eighties. Um but yeah, I, I'm I'm hard pressed to remember her in anything else. Can I throw you a weird one? She was in the love boat. Which has the same font as No Time to Die. Yes. <laughs> the font That's goes stretch, back, isn't it? The font goes back to uh, 1929, but yes. That's a stretch. <laughs> oh, she was in What's New Pussycat? 
Okay. Jessica that makes sense. Feldman. Oh, yeah. yeah. She was in She. Well, that what's new pussycat? Woody Allen, Peter Sellers, you know, so mm. that's probably why she got this. And she, yes. Which has photos that are still to this day confused with Dr. No. Hmm. And a white bikini. So is this the point where Peter Sellers realized he wasn't in a serious James Bond film? <laughs> <laughs> if, yeah. if, he, if he didn't, he was really dense. And, by the way, <laughs> I think this whole scene is the inspiration for Austin Powers. I was just going to mm. say that. Yeah. Absolutely. The glasses, the yeah. photography, you know, being, yeah. the camera, being yeah. on the camera, the spinny bed. But mm. Oliver Brown need to do this whatever he's wearing. <laughs> oh, which part? He dresses in a whole bunch of costumes coming up, which is uh... – I, I mean, I got lost where I was just like, wait, what's going on? Is this foreplay? Is this afterplay? Well, like, well okay. Also, all these mirrors, like, Cosplay. okay, this, all these mirrors Cosplay. goes back to the, the, uh, the lady from Shanghai directed by Orson Welles. Because, like, all these directors have, like, copied that. Oh, all it's these Hitler decades. and the James Bond film. I did not expect that. (laughs) As also seen in the Living Daylands. Yeah. I do not. I I can't remember. I've seen this film loads of times, but, you know, uh, I guess the last time was about 30 years ago, and I don't remember any of this. This is is 67. This is like a little bit close for comfort, maybe. Well, Well, like, yeah, 22 years after the end of World War II. Like, yeah. Oh, and we got Napoleon. Like, let's toss that in there. Well, my point is that there was people who made this film that were in the war. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, yeah. And like, and a lot of people in the audience, like, were in the war too. <laughs> I think anybody who was in the war and went to see this film didn't enjoy it. And here's this. Oh God, this is other reference. Ugh. Is this to lose the trick? Is that it? Yeah, uh. yeah, yeah. You're way ahead of me on this, Calvin. Um, um, I have to look it up, but I saw it on another TV show. It's like not good. It's not good. I think I had a Barbie doll with her dress as a costume. <laughs> I was just admiring that rooster over on the shelf. I don't quite know what that is, oh, yeah. but it's, yeah. You know, every London prop studio just like give us all your glitzy stuff. <laughs> Randomly placed around. Oh my god! Here it is, man. <laughs> Peter, memo to Peter: You're not in a straight James Bond film. <laughs> The moment here's you your, put that, here's your Hitler costume. <laughs> here's your Hitler costume. Here's your top hat. Here's your fake beard. But it's like early sixties, Doctor No from Russia with Love. Late sixties, Casino Royale sixty-seven. Oh God! This has been going on for how long? Yeah, I was just like, what are they even talking about? I can't remember what. We're at 56 minutes. 
She's trying to get him to play Le Chiffre at Baccarat. And so all of this was a ploy to get him to that point, And okay, he wanted to walk yes, away. Evelyn, right Evelyn now, yes. Tremble. Yeah. Of <laughs> <laughs> we, we, we still haven't got to uh, the actor who played Kronstein yet. Oh, no, we haven't. Give it time. Give it oh, time, so yeah. There was a scene deleted. Um, Peter Zellers has just gone into sort of the Q branch, um, which is beneath Harrods, and there was a sequence where um, we're going to see a little person dressed as a gnome or an elf or something, and this little person was supposed to be following Peter Zellers around Harrods. That's right. And that's what that comes oh. from. And guys with wetsuits with bows and arrows. Like, what the hell is that? There was some like photo fit of Hitler going on on the left That's side right. of the frame just then. I don't know what that was. <laughs> uh, some kind of animation going on. Like someone had to make that animation, presumably, yeah. and it's not for even it, for it to uh, be like off screen. Yeah. <laughs> oh. And a guy does a Hitler <laughs> Hitler salute and hits himself on the head while wearing a British military uniform. Whatever. Okay. <laughs> Again, I say, if you're going to like do a spoof, the jokes have to be funny. There's your uh, Santa's elf. Yeah. <laughs> so we're going to see, like, there's a toadstool, and on it, there's a sign, like, saying the James Bond to toadstool pattern pending. What does that mean? Is that anything? <laughs> Is that, like, a, a phrase? Or Coming a soon from Factory Entertainment. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I guess the guy uh, killed himself by detonating his hat. I guess. I'm... Of course, the tailor has to be camp. You know, mm. It's all very, are you being served? This, right. uh, yeah. yeah. I don't know the name of this actor, uh, the very camp one, but hes I've only ever seen him play this character. Like, this is all he does in everything I've seen him in. Uh, This Q scene is going to be longer than any Bond series Q scene. <laughs> and people complain that the Daniel Craig movies don't have humour. <laughs> it's a shame Ben isn't here. I, could, I, do, I was just about to ask what kind of watch Peter Sellers has on, if uh, that was any significance. Oh, yeah, we would know. Yeah. <laughs> Ben would be giving us his brilliance and we would mm. all be sitting here being like, oh yeah, Ben, thank you. Uh-huh. That's a great point. <laughs> Thanks, Ben. <laughs> we miss you, Ben. <laughs> He's not going to be listening to this by any means. <laughs> no. Tell him, tell him to listen to about like one minute into the, one, one hour. Oh gosh. One hour into the podcast. We give him some love. Moulin Rouge, that is that reference when uh, Sellers was, was the short character with the top hat and the beard. Um, a reference to Moulin Rouge. Video on the watch. Yeah, which Bond film is that? Oh, it's Octopus, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Um, well, you know, random... Nazis walking around. 
Again, 22 years after the end of World War II. Oh, he's got pee on his cup. Like, oh, there you go. Yeah. Mm. They should sue. Mm. <laughs> they should sue. Oh, and a jacket with a Union Jack on it. Hmm. What is oh, that? It's a zip on the crotch that gets me. Oh, that's what it is. Huh. Again, I'd just like to point out, we've been in Q Ranch for like five minutes. I was going to say, this is the longest Q scene Feldman. ever. Feldman. Pay Connery the million dollars. If you go back in time, Feldman, pay Connery the million dollars. You will... Here's the other thing. Feldman died of a heart attack a year after this movie was made. Like, he might have lived longer if he had, like, <laughs> given Connery the damn money and just, like, you know, done a straight James Bond film. Oh, we're out of that scene. Phew. Yeah. Thankfully. Yeah. Back to good old David Niven. Um, I'm back. So- <laughs> <laughs> Is this taking- a bit- he goes to his daughter. Uh, is that what's coming up? It is coming up. I just don't know when in the chronology. Like chronology, it- chronology, <laughs> timeline. <laughs> what are this we talking film? about with this film? <laughs> Sorry. Well, actually, Lisa, how was it? Because it was the first time that you watched it, wasn't it? Uh, in preparation for this. Yeah. How, how was that experience? Can I, can I just give you a shout out, Lisa, for dedication? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I wanted because I can't get an I, w- I wouldn't be able to hear the film, so I wanted to make sure I had some semblance of what was going on. <laughs> uh-huh. That was my reaction to it. Oh gosh. Well, y'all got my text message of my initial reaction about this film. <laughs> what, was it, what, what, was it, what was it you said about it? <laughs> what the actual fuck? <laughs> 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 with periods in between each word. But here's, um, but, but, but here's the thing. Uh, it's like one thing to say, what the actual fuck. Here's the other. But you say, what the actual fuck after spending millions, after spending $12 million in 1967, which would mm-hmm. be like however many million dollars today. Mm-hmm. So that is the same actor that's Dr. Nose Henchman and Sandor in the Spy Love, right? Mm, yes, yes. The bold guy who just uh, seated him Milton down. Reed. They, Milton Reed, that's it, yeah. Lisa, Milton, what, what, Milton, we've got a job for you. What, yeah, turn up on Tuesday. Uh, paint yourself red. All right, got it. <laughs> I bet he got paid more for this than he did <laughs> either of the other two bonds. Probably. <laughs> because broccoli was like really harsh, really tight on, <laughs> on non-stars. Like, mm-hmm. Belton probably like paid him like two, three, four, five times what he was used to get. <laughs> so... A uh, little bit of cultural appropriation here. Matahari being Indian. Let's get Ursula Andress. Mm-hmm. Swiss, yeah. Swiss actress. Yeah. Makes sense. Wait, what? Uh, not Ursula Andress, is it? Or oh, is sorry, it? no. It's uh, what's uh, Barbara Boucher. Barbara oh, Boucher. no. Th- it, this yeah. is Joanna Petit? Petet? Uh, Barnes. Joanna Barnes. Oh. Okay. American actress. And, 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 and this, is, and this <laughs> is all Thai as well, isn't it? Rather, rather than Indian, it's, it's, it's wildly inappropriate. Whatever, like American yes, actress somewhere in Asia, this... act. You know. Yeah. 
Um, Lisa, were, were there any moments that you laughed at? Like, genuinely, was there anything that sort of tickled your funny bone even remotely in, when you were watching this? Um, I think the, the toupee heirloom line made mm. me laugh. It made me chuckle. And I think mm. I just watched this more with, like, an odd fascination. For me, like, comedies are hit and miss. Like, I guess I just have, mm. like, a unique funny bone. Um, mm. And, I, I mean, I do, like, anything with Mel Brooks. Like, I, I can handle my spoofs. Um, I think that mm. his stuff is just really clever. Um, this, I just... Uh, it's like it's like I wanted to take this as a spoof, but I feel as though this is a film that's half serious, half funny. Like mm. it's it's not enough of one or the other, and I think that's where I'm just sort of watching it more in terms of like weird fascination rather mm. than having like a genuine connection. Watching it as a movie, I feel like I'm very much on the outside looking at you know this this artifact oh, from 1967. Mm. Yeah, but it, it's weird because. Uh... It, it it's not serious at all, but it's not funny at all, basically either. Right. It's it, it misses on 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 just about everything. And I, and I, I want we... it to hit. I mm. want it to be funny. Like I actually like I want something that has the name Casino Royale. Mm. Like I wanted this to be, you know, like I was I was really surprised at how much I like Never Say Never Again. Like I, I actually enjoyed that film and there were little elements here and there and I'm like, I could see the potential and I could see what they were doing, you know? And, and even if I didn't have like the history, the emotional history yeah. or the nostalgia yeah. with it, I was with the movie and I'm like, cool, I'm glad I watched it. This, like, I'm going to forget about this the second we're done. <laughs> mm. And mm. like, it's not going to sort of stay with me. Um, and, and yeah, sorry, I, I, I talked over you, Calvin. No, I was just going to say, I think your your comments about you know spoofs is really relevant like for mel brooks as well who's like really great at genre spoofing or you know spoofing yeah. a particular you know young frankenstein high anxiety uh, blazing mm -hmm. saddles all that stuff is Jesus. great and he like understands the what it is that he's spoofing and sort of adheres to some of the uh tropes of whatever genre that is but also it takes the mickey out of it whereas this does feel like it's not really doing a bond story and sort of making fun of it along the way there are moments like in the q scene that we saw there are some gags in there um which feel like they're spoofing elements from the film series but like this for example this is a scene that's so wildly separate from whatever it does feel like it's trying to do its own story um mm -hmm. which is weird because it does move out of spoof territory in that regard and i feel as though like just from the last scene like i just felt musical come in there like yeah, it was yeah. just, you know, a yeah. nod to all of those musicals and now it's circling back to giving us a dialogue scene. And it feels like this is just sort of like a Frankenstein of of so many elements, which is not a true spoof, right? Mm. And I think that mm. you're right. You know, when I think about comedies, and maybe this is the reason why I have a selective funny bone, it's really hard to make people laugh. It's really mm. hard to do comedy well. Um, I think sometimes it's easier to make people cry when you can have a certain subject matter. You can use the mm. the music and stuff. And I mm. always get mad when I watch the Oscars um, and all of these other award shows where we're not actually recognizing comedy for how mm. difficult it is to have a comedic performance on your own, let alone write something that is funny, perform something that's funny, and package it in a way that is truly enjoyable. Like I think I admire the people who can make me laugh because I think that's a gift. And I think you're right with your your discussion of Mel Brooks. He's somebody who just knew how to do it. He had whatever that funny bone was, and he had a great perception and understanding of how different series and different genres worked. So when he mm. put it together, his his 
I mean, he's a mix of like some sort of like slapstick humor, but also witty banter. And you throw mm-hmm. it all together and it, it comes across as being, you know, just incredibly enjoyable to watch. Whereas this film, I feel as though like, like there's different pieces there, but nothing's fully molded together. And I think a lot of that has to do with different directors and, you know, in onset fighting. I I think that they're trying to make something maybe in the editing bay, you know, Mm. of all these different pieces. And that's maybe what I'm sensing where I just don't see anything that's cohesive. mm. Well, well, the thing that made the Eon series unique, or at least remarkable was the uh, way it uh, uh, balanced drama and humor. Uh, mm. You had you had the uh, you know as like it was serious on one level, but you had the the you know the taglines you know like sergeant make sure he doesn't get away. That was the first scripted line, and then in Doctor No, and then um, Connery and Terrence Young then like ad libbed others that made it into Doctor No later. But um, yeah, I mean, and you mentioned. Uh, Mel Brooks. Mel Brooks co-created Get Smart. Mel Brooks, it was his idea for uh, the shoe phone, and uh, he collaborated with Buck Henry. It was Buck Henry's idea to have the cone of silence. And it's like, you know, but that worked. That worked great because they were both excellent comedy writers. And uh, whereupon in a movie like this, it's like they're trying to be funny, but like they just don't have it. And, um, you know, they're trying to be funny, but it's just, it's not working most yeah, of the we, time. We just missed Bernard Cribbins. Now yeah, I was going to say Cor- Bernard and, Cribbins as well. Yeah. And then we got Ronnie Corbett coming up. Um, mm. But you mentioned uh, the, all the Mel Brooks stuff. I think the thing that ruins um, Blazing Saddles is when it devolves, because they didn't have an ending, they devolve it into this like slapstick pie fight. And, <sighs> That they do it here too. Mm. Well, that was that was going to be the original ending for um, Doctor Strangelove as well. Um, yes, yeah. That was right. just some something. I don't know what originated that. Well, I guess you can go back to silent comedy. Uh, is it Battle of the Century, which is the Laurel and Hardy silent short, which just ends up as a big pie fight? Um, and I don't know what of the '60s oh. was the first one to do that, but, but yeah. But, but, but Kubrick had absolute control, and it's like. Maybe they filmed it, but like he knew, like, mm. no, we're not going to put this in the movie. And mm. so, yeah. Mm. But again, Dr. Strange Love, you know, a brilliant satiric <laughs> comedy mm. where like every, you know, they hit all the, you know, all the marks, whatever you want to call it. But, mm. uh, it, whereupon in this film, it's like, what the hell are they doing? It's like, <laughs> you know, it's, it's like improv night. Yeah. I, I, I do love um, this whole sequence, by the way. Um, that's Anna Quayle there next to Ronnie Corbett, and she would go on to be in uh, Chitty Chitty Bang Bang the following year, obviously in Eon production, uh, directed by Ken Hughes, who I believe directed this segment of this film. Um, and also the the art direction here, it's very striking. It's oh, like, yeah. yeah it's, get, it, I was going to say, it, it, the, I, I, I love this uh, Oh, it's proper... It's yeah, um, F.W. Murnau, uh, Fritz Lang, German yeah. 20s expressionist, all that yeah. kind of stuff. Yeah. But it, uh, sort of looping back to the what the discussion we were having now about spoofing, like, this is nothing to do with the sort of James Bond in the door. It's anything, yeah. I mean, uh-huh. it, it's it's basically, I mean, again, it, it it's a commentary about 
the talent of the crew, especially mm. the art department. <laughs> <laughs> Not sure about this. And, and, and Perfect it's just timing, with, Bill. Perfect timing for shot that. Shot with a different film stock. It just looks weird. Mm. Yeah. But I do I, love it. Like this portion of the film, this little episode, has feels like it has more energy than a lot of the other stuff. I think, and um, I do like Joanna. Um, I'm, I'm sorry, I can't remember her name. Was it Joanna Barnes? Uh, Joanna Barnes. Yeah, American right. actress. Yeah, yeah. Like I quite like her in this. I like Ronnie Colbert and Anna Quayle. Uh, he's a robot I, or something. <laughs> but I, I. Oh my gosh, my dog just barked in his sleep. Um, can I ask a question? Sort of pivoting off of that, just something to. Uh, to think about what do you think about the fact that she's James Bond's daughter? And if you hear sort of the background, I think they mentioned that she was put into an orphanage at the age of three, but for some reason he was still paying for her. She was still cashing the checks, but she didn't have them in her life. And of course he kind of disappears now in the movie. Any thoughts on having James Bond having a child? Cause that's not necessarily something we've seen thus far um, <clears throat> in any sort of like bond articulation. I think it's an afterthought in this movie. <laughs> I don't know. It, it's Just a real shame. I, I agree with Bill there. I think it is sort of like, okay, God, we need to fill some time. Peter Sellers has walked off. What can we What can we do? How okay. do we get a new character into this? Oh, yes, yeah, so of course, she can be James's daughter. And I think that's a shame because I think that there is, again, like this is something that you could do if this was a well thought out spoof like the idea right. that you know subverting expectations again james bond has a daughter that's and, and having that daughter be sort of you know the age of the women that we see him sort of getting on with in in the right. main series like you could do something with that but again right. they just don't to to go to lisa's point this could have been something made into something interesting and it's just kind of like tossed out there because mm. uh, that could be a whole film like yeah. Bond and his daughter, like on some kind of mission, or the relationship between them, have those two together. You can do something with that, uh, right? No, she's gonna. <laughs> what what is even happening here? Ronnie Corbett's uh, yeah, doing stuff. Again, this film and has a lot of Oh. American audiences must have been lost on half the casting of this film. Yeah. <laughs> Are you a BBC well, television centre on Tuesday afternoon off? Yeah, come over, we're making this movie. Like... <laughs> well, they would have recognised David Niven, they would recognise Peter Sellers, they would possibly recognised uh, Joanna Barnes, Orson Welles, and then like not so much. Oh, George Raft gets a cameo later. William Holden gets a cameo later. It's a bit like the Harry Potter of this day. It's like if you're a British actor with an equity card, you get a part. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. I don't know if you noticed, but earlier there was like um, variations on famous paintings in the entryway. <clears throat> and one of them was the... Uh, the businessman with the apple for his head, which is obviously used. I forget the name of the painting in uh, Thomas Crown. Oh, oh yeah. Bronstein. Mm. Vladek Chabelle, whatever his name is, but yeah. Mm. And we have this semi-dramatic music, like, what's going on? Like, it <laughs> seems serious, but... 
Mm. Yep, what's going on is the question. <laughs> <laughs> I, I do really love this actress, Anna Quayle. I've seen her in a few things, and she's really memorable in Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, in which she plays, uh, well, Gert Frobe, uh, Goldfinger's wife, um, the king and queen of Bulgaria. Um, I, I think she's a really great comedic actress, got good timings and stuff. Um, yeah. I really do genuinely really like this like 10, 15 minute chunk of the film. It's pretty good. But Which, it's not a, it's, it's not a, a James Bond sort of scene. Or, it's, yeah. is, which of the five credit directors directed this scene? Well, this was Ken Hughes, I believe, okay. um, who directed believe, Chitty Chitty Bang just, Bang. That's the other thing. It's like you have, when, whenever you have five credit directors, that's a warning sign. Like, is mm. it? Oh, there he is. So we've seen this amazing set design, and now we're in some kind of like just hotel ballroom for the briefing scene. It's not money ran out, I'm guessing. <laughs> but it, it's it's funny though that um, the the red side is painted red. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. What are these? Are these like the Americans and the other guys? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, know, I noticed that at Checkpoint Charlie, the the. Um, the Eastern Berlin was painted red. It's uh... yeah. I think they've got like a red light on on the whole thing. Uh, but is that red Soviet red light district? No, oh, yeah, uh, no, I think no, it's Soviet. It's it's the. Yeah. I, I think that's what it's supposed to be. Yeah, yeah. probably. But just it's you know it's so weird. Mm. Oh, and we got oh uh, was, was that uh, cook? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Bernard Crimson's got second days work. <laughs> I can't even remember what Bernard Cribbins used to be in, but I just know him. Well, here's the funny thing, of course, because he was in the um, later in Doctor Who, right? But yes. wasn't he in? Um, he did a bunch of movies around this time. I'm looking at that. I think he was in the, a few Carry On films. So the year before this, he was in the spin-off Doctor Who movie. So oh, of course he was. He yes, did, with Peter Cushing. He did back-to-back wonky movies of, but, uh, but fra- wait, of but, franchises. But was, he, he was on TV a lot, though, as well. What, but what was he in? He was in, memorable in an episode of Faulty Towers. Avengers, uh, uh, as with any actor of the time, the Avengers, uh, Faulty Towers, mm. Wurzel Gummidge. Maybe it was just he, he yeah. was in everything, and I remember him. Yeah. Th- oh. He was in everything. <laughs> Anyway, what the hell's going on here? It's like she flipped a switch and like everybody is uh, whatever. Just I think some of the lines there are pretty good, like how you have the Americans and the Soviets like rushing to the phones and the British guys being very like, oh, there's a bit of a war going on or something. Um, yeah. But yeah, they yeah. start fighting each other because the film in the projector changes and they right. think that that means it's war. It's uh, it's tenuous. Something something like that. Yeah. I'm, <laughs> something. I'm, I, I, I'm not even debating it on any <laughs> real level. <laughs> Ronnie Corbett's pretty horny for a robot. Yeah. Well, you're next to Joanna Barnes. Of course, you'd be horny. <laughs> oh God! Oh my God! <laughs> <laughs> well, there he goes. Oh, for those, not follow, for those not watching at home, Ronnie Corbett just had was, <laughs> went backwards in sped up footage because. Oh, and that one woman got shot somehow, <laughs> <laughs> somehow, <laughs> some way. It's Whatever. almost like stop fighting. This is the war room joke. Yeah, so, I think that's what oh, this is God. going for. But, but at least that was funny. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, 
Again, it's just like pulling from different, like, why is this German expressionist set? Why are we sort of referencing Dr. Strangelove with this? It's just really strange references. And well, at least she looks like she's having a good time. <laughs> Diamonds are forever. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and she gets a kick in. And, uh, Tellyho, and she goes, slides down the, uh, whatever. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe Roger Moore's uh, octopus he pulled from this film. Yeah, mm. yeah, yeah. Oh, the music! Oh God! Like da 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 da. It's like Keystone <laughs> Cops by it's very Benny Hill. V- yeah, by Via Burt Baccarat. In fact, was Benny Hill on at this time? I don't know. If- yes, yes, it uh, was. Okay. It was. I, 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 I don't know a lot about Benny Hill, but I know it was on at this time. Uh. Oh, and now we get a reference to what's new, Pussycat. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, which is, yeah. Hmm. Uh, you know, I, I will stand by this, like, 10, 15-minute chunk. I do think that it kind of works in it. So, you know, it has its own climax with the little fight sequence and everything. I think as, like, a little episode, I mean, it doesn't achieve anything, but it's... <laughs> it, it, it um, essentially, it stands on its own. Yeah, <laughs> it's not, no connection to the rest of the movie, but like, yeah, uh, it's kind of amusing. Why is there a price taxi at Chapuchel? <laughs> That's the joke. That's the joke. Oh, and Lashif, we meet Lashif. To answer your question, Calvin, the exploding telephone booth makes me laugh too. <laughs> Just thought I'd throw that out there. Yeah. And for the kids out there, that's when you used to have to go into a box to make a phone call. <laughs> and, and you then, had to use something called coins. <laughs> and then everybody being and, reunited from either and, side of the wall. And there he goes. And it's like, goodbye, Krenstein. I think it's hilarious. I do think that's a pretty good joke. <laughs> it's, it's funny. Again, if you like if you do like little bits, little scenes, you know, like they're okay. Mm-hmm. Oh, Pan American. The uh um, must have had some coin on this movie. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, I have I do have to say, uh Sellers does look Bondian, except for that. But mm-hmm. um Nothing to declare. No. <laughs> So we're back with uh, yeah Mathis now from the very start of the film, which uh, yeah I don't know if that little snippet that we saw at the start of the film has um, anything to do with anything. <laughs> well, I wonder. I, I guess they felt like oh, okay, Peter Sellers is a big deal and his name's all over this, so we should put him up front to reassure people that he will make an appearance yeah, at some point yeah, yeah. to stop people walking out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he was the top billed actor in the in the main title, so sure. Because uh, it's completely out of sequence with everything else. It's a really strange little bit. Um, yeah, not that, strange. Not, <laughs> yeah, but not that the car wash thing is, has anything to do with anything else. No. That was straight out of Lee Tamahori's kind of like scrapped things from Dino the Day. <laughs> PPC ladies with a car. God. Mm-hmm. <sighs> For someone who's the second build star of this movie, she really doesn't play too much of a role. I mm. guess it was because she was the first Bond girl. Mm. Mm. I can see that. 
I just thought just looking at the credits that she would be the one who would be doing like, I don't know. I just feel as though there's so many characters and it's so fractured in this movie that if you were just to combine yeah, the characters, it would make more sense. Bond, Bond film, Sir Andrus, yeah, we'll go and see that. Mm-hmm. Oh, Jacqueline Bissett. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Jacqueline Bissett in a uh, pajama top and bottle of champagne. Oh. Mm-hmm. Nobody knows me now. Like you approve of that compliment? Well. No. <laughs> a year from now, everyone will know me from a Bullet. But uh, that's right. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> Again. Okay. This is probably like Sellers' like most Bond-looking scene. You know, with the shoulder holster and and he lost quite a bit of weight as well um in the 60s he was quite a, a chubby guy um when he sort of became famous when he was doing the goon show and stuff in like the 50s and early 60s and um i think th- that's probably part of the reason why he wanted to do sort of a straighter james bond film because he felt like yeah. oh yeah i'm in shape now i can you know be the action hero or, or whatever debonair spy um he's almost like a um cross between bond and harry palmer Mm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> mm. Oh, an Alka-Seltzer in the... Uh, <laughs> That's going to take a while to dissolve. <laughs> He's going to be kissing him for a while. It might even like change the color of the champagne. <laughs> 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 that thing is so big. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. Oh, geez, <laughs> yeah, given that given that Bond is used to mixing benzedrine in with his champagne, his taste buds must be pretty short. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> mm. Slurp. Um. <laughs> oh, how far, how far are we? Oh. <laughs> That hour twenty-six. Okay, we've got a lot to cover in the next. Like, there's like forty-five minutes left, and from what I remember, okay. there is quite a lot to come. Oh uh, yeah, words, we, we haven't gotten to Dalla Lobby yet. I know, and in the words of that crazy person at the Republican convention, the best is yet to come. <laughs> Don Jr.'s uh, girlfriend. Yes. Oh, here we go, and we and we haven't even gotten to. Uh, um, oh, what's his name? All right, so we can't use these scenes. <laughs> yeah, he's left. So uh, montage. Yeah, so they do this very strange sort of he's dreaming fantasy stuff. I'm guessing this scene made sense in some previous draft or something, but they had Ursula Andrews in that laundry, so I guess they wanted to find some excuse to use it. I I, I don't think it made any sense in any draft, but um... <laughs> uh, <laughs> sorry, I just. Like, it's amazing, like, all these worthwhile film projects where writers <laughs> and directors, like, fought and scrapped and, like, and, like, yeah, oh, sorry, we're not going to make it. And, like, and this thing gets made, like, mm. with a $12 million budget in 1967. Like, how does this happen? Yeah, it happens. <laughs> Same reason Quibi happens. <laughs> yes. Shit happens. <laughs> Shit happens. Yeah. P 
Peter O'Toole. We haven't gotten to Peter O'Toole yet. Mm. That's why I was trying to remember. It's, it's like my brain is about to explode. But so for all the budget of this movie that they wasted, there's a lot of long two people scenes. Yeah, it's just no. sort of like very dull dialogue for the most part. Uh, the occasional nice line, I guess. But I, I'm I'm sure if they if they cut half an hour out of this film, they could have. <laughs> At least tightened it up. Mm. It, it may not be coherent, but you know, it, it would. They, they could move it along so you didn't actually realize it wasn't uh, so incoherent. And uh, <laughs> meanwhile, they could have had a contest between Peter Sellers, Sean Connery, and Ken Adam, who had the most body hair. Yeah, <laughs> but I think that's a really interesting point. I mean, I think it might be a reflection of the time where I don't know if today in a movie we would see even in a spoof, you know, a character who's supposed to be playing this this you know this 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 lovemaker hero having body hair, and I think that that's just the way that like aesthetics have changed over time. Yeah, you know, I, mm. I think I think in the in the sixties it was kind of sexy, and these days it. Isn't is it? Don't you yeah, think? I'm glad to report I'm on the right side of history. <laughs> <laughs> but it also yeah, puts yeah, in a lot yeah, of yeah, yeah, Br- yeah Br- um, brag on that, James. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, well, but it does put a lot of pressure on men to have to. We don't. We always talk oh. about like women and and some of the the aesthetics when it comes to body hair and the expectations. But there are a lot of expectations for men as well. Um, that have changed over time, and it's yeah. not a not painful process to get things removed um, or or different processes to keep them re- to keep this body oh. hair removed. Did, did you and, see the uh, Diane are into pressure to like remove their chest hair? Yeah. The did you see the Diane Salento quote that popped up again after Connery died, <laughs> where he was? She said she used to sit behind him in the bathtub, shave his back, glue his toupee on, so he could go out and fuck other women. <laughs> <laughs> Wow! <laughs> no, I did not see that, but uh, yeah, I believe it. <laughs> wow! Wasn't this a condition of Orson Welles that he had to have his ma- magic trick in the movie? So he yes. did in the movie. <laughs> great. Yes. And this is the stuff that they were filming when Peter Sellers was stormed off or just didn't turn up or whatever. You'll see that he didn't like working with Orson Welles. Um, I think Orson Welles is well, obviously, a very domineering figure. Um, uh, you know, and there's only one shot, I think, where they're both in the same frame. Otherwise, their scenes were shot. Like, go and have a scene together, but their stuff was shot separately. Mm. You ever seen him doing the peas commercial? Oh, yes, I love it. Um, <laughs> just, just as a reminder, um, uh, Orson Welles filmed. Uh, oh, what's the what's that called? When he was 26, um, Citizen Kane. Citizen Kane, yes. He was 26 when he filmed Citizen Kane. Mm. Co-wrote, produced, and directed it. So mm. and there's a, a movie out on streaming called Mank, meaning Herman Mankiewicz, the lead writer mm. on um, Citizen Kane. So, mm. oh, and this guy in the middle, he's like one of, he's in the Pink Panther movies. Yes, he is. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Sorry. <laughs> I got distracted. <laughs> Pink Panther because movies I got were actually funny. Because, yeah, I know. <laughs> I got distracted <laughs> thinking about something funny rather than this film. But uh, mm. <laughs> So how do we rank the casino set? 
Uh, I think the casinos, casino set in Act Two of 1954, um, Casino Royale was better than this. So <laughs> I'm going to go with that. <laughs> I want to know how much the budget went on wallpaper. Right? <laughs> <laughs> well, well, like 12, well, the movie was $12 million, um, probably a million on wallpaper <laughs> alone. <laughs> There's a horrible painting on the wall there on the right. Yeah, it looks like looks like Dominic Cummings. <laughs> <laughs> looks like Dominic Cummings by uh, Edvard Munch. Like it's like the screen. <laughs> oh. oh, can I go um, mention uh, Ben Hecht? What could yeah. have been? Real quick. All right, so. Um, after Howard Hawks bowed out, apparently Feldman hired Ben Hecht, and he he wrote scripts for like a more or less straight adaptation of uh, uh, Casino Royale, the novel, with some additions. And then, unfortunately, he died in 1964. It's like, oh, all right, well, there you, there you go. But uh, about ten years ago, a uh, writer named Jeremy Dunn's tracked down those uh, drafts. Hex uh, papers are at the Newberry Library in uh, Chicago. And so that probably would have been another better movie than this one. So hmm. that's all I have to say. So I just, I just dug up what the rift was between um, Sellers and Wells. Apparently it was caused by the arrival on the set of Princess Margaret. Ah. Sister Queen. Sellers had known her previously and greeted her in an ostentatious manner to ensure all the cast and crew noticed However, the princess walked straight past him and made a big fuss over Wells. <laughs> <laughs> Nonplus, Sales stopped off the set and refused to film with him again. Oh, yeah. God. Really? Mm-hmm. Yeah. He, was, he was very temperamental at this time in his life, like, hugely so. I think he was a bit of a nightmare for a good few years before he pulled himself together a bit. Well, he oh, and Blake God. Edwards had a lot of fights. Mm-hmm. And, um because they did two movies together with um, Settlers playing Clouseau, and then that was it for a while. And then, like, in the 70s, they both needed a hit because they both were, like, struggling, and so they reluctantly worked together again for the return of the Pink Panther in 75. But, uh, yeah, so Peter Sellers was very temperamental. So that scene that we just had Jacqueline Bissett in, right, Bill? Yeah. So I didn't know this. I just pulled this up. When Peter Sellers turned he, he and fired a gun directly in her face, um, apparently, even though the gun had blanks, the stunt left her face coated in burning gunpowder and bleeding <gasps> from, shard, from shards that tore into her skin. Yeah. Ouch. Oh, here we go. This is the one shot. Oh, we. Yeah, well, there we go. That was the <laughs> that was the one it. Shot. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then I guess after that, Princess Margaret came in. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> I do think Orson Welles is pretty good in this. Like, it's a shame that he was never a proper Bond villain. I guess he also had it in his contract that he didn't have to like stand up because he's just sat down for pretty much all of this. I think. No, I agree with what you were saying. I was thinking the same thing, where I actually found him to be probably one, one if not the most compelling character in this film. And I believe every line that he gave. You know, I, I believe his intentions. Like, I think he takes this character incredibly seriously. 
Mm. And, and he definitely elevates, I think, the acting in this film. And I, mm. by the way, this is coming from someone like, I hate Citizen Kane as a movie. I, oh, really? Oh, gosh. I find it. Like, I watch it. It's so pretentious. And it's, well, yeah. But well, but for me to give this type of compliment, I mean, I genuinely enjoyed his performance in this. And, and hmm. I was really impressed by him here. In this period, Siller, um, Wells was like taking a lot of acting jobs, just trying to raise money to do a new film project. Um. Yeah, so, and he did a ton of, uh, oh, advertising, advertising voiceovers, Paul Masson wine. We'll tell <laughs> no wine before it's time. That was, you know, it's kind of sad in a way, but, um, but he, <laughs> but the thing is, I, I remember, I, I saw this quote from Charlton Heston. It's like, um, oh, Touch of Evil, where like Charlton Heston said, Orson's got this reputation for like extra- extravagant spending. Like, no, like when I worked with him on Touch of Evil, it was like really tight, really lean. It just, you know, like, no, he was not extravagant at all. But hmm. anyway. I like it's these like playing cards, on, by the way. Also on the Dean Martin show, you can, uh, there, I saw a clip where uh, Orson Welles is like tap dancing with Dean Martin on the, on it so it's like like i guess he wanted money so it's like there you go Hmm. joan collins turned down a role in this film good for her Hmm. and jack lemon oh oh who he would have played actually i Hmm. guess it's it's not really that kind of film is it they're not really casting roles it's just (laughs) who's free who can come in today It's like it's a mad, 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 mad world. You know, like, mm-hmm. yeah, it's like get you in there and get you out. <laughs> right, I've gone down a trivia rat hole now. This is a good right. one. Peter Sellers ordered one of the sets to be torn down because the night before he had a dream in which his mother visited and told him he didn't like it. Brilliant. <laughs> what? Yeah. That's star power. Yeah. <laughs> Gosh, I would never work with him. I mean, yeah. if I was in control of anything, I'd be like, screw this guy. Yeah. It's a little too temperamental, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. That's ridiculous. Mm. Now it makes me not like him in this movie. Like, I just look at him and I'm like, ugh. <laughs> he was very, yeah, this point in his life was very, I think he'd been, because he'd had all of the sort of the critical, you know, um, you know, applause for Doctor Strange Love, and then the Pink Panthers had been very successful, and I think he was a bit, yeah, uh, the stardom went to his head a bit, but he was also very insecure as well. Yeah, I'd always thought he had mental problems. Uh, oh yeah, I know he definitely did. Yeah, um, yeah, there's a really good biopic actually starring Jeffrey Rush as Peter Sellers, mm-hmm. um, and I think Charlize Theron plays Britt Eklund in it as well. Yeah. And they do sort of touch on this film very briefly. Um, I think Heidi Klum plays Ursula Andress in that actually. Um, right. Um, he was born in 1925, so he would have been 41 when they filmed this, 42 when it came out. Mm. Um, I mean, he looks good. I mean, he looks great in this film. Mm. But, but like Calvin said, like he apparently like lost a lot of weight. He's like trying to look bondish. But mm. So I'm scrolling through this. Get this. Feldman gave Peter Sellers, on the first day of filming, a white Rolls Royce. Bloody hell. 
<laughs> what? <laughs> okay. Yeah. Whereas over on Yunliv twice, uh, Charles Gray turned up and just got an old Ford Model T from Cubby Broccoli. <laughs> <laughs> if that. <laughs> Here's your cab fare back to here's your cab fare to the <laughs> yeah. airport. <laughs> oh god, the tongue gross. Tiger. What's that? Oh, apparently they built a massive Taj Mahal set and never used it. What? <laughs> <laughs> uh, hmm. Although her dress does look fantastic on her. She does look like a goddess in that dress. Mm-hmm. Mm. It's very quite similar to Eva Green's. A, has a similar sort of purple one, doesn't yeah, she? And then sure. with the mm-hmm. Algerian love knot around her neck, um, and yeah. this bit here is yeah. a necklace as well. Yeah. Ooh, that's a great connection, Calvin. Mm. Maybe the costume designer is referencing this in some way, mm. shape, or form. Loosely, right. I will. Right, nobody will get this. Who were the production looking to bring in? To replace Peter Sellers after he quit. Oof. Is it random? Yes. Okay. Um, <laughs> uh, trying to think who would. James Stewart. No. Hmm. Stuart Granger. <laughs> Danny, Danny LaRue. What? Oof. <laughs> no hmm. way. Wait, yeah. wait, wait, wait. James Stewart. That's a great cast. Last person kidnapped. What, what, why am I going to go? <laughs> Merry Christmas, Casino Royale. <laughs> <laughs> You, 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 you've never been to the, uh, you've never been to Istanbul? No. <laughs> Merry Christmas, chair with a hole in it. <laughs> well, the moonlight on the Bosphorus is irresistible. If you to take me there someday. Let me tell you the secret of the world. <laughs> Uh, and this is, oh. of course, a reference to the novel. And um, this chair does it's, actually it's got have a carpet a, beater as well. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's got a hole in it. Uh, but instead, we're going to do some kind of strange mind zapping something. Whatever. Something. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Harry What's this? <laughs> <laughs> this does feel like the set. Like the set designers were at a different kind of uh, wavelength to. I don't know, the screenwriters or director or something, because you've got this torture room and then they don't do anything with any of it. They just do all these editing tricks instead. <laughs> right. <laughs> is this the bit... I remember watching your review, Calvin. Is this the bit that you lost it? Is this... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Right. Uh, in, in, the, in the 80s, I went to, um, went to a, a gig with Cabaret Voltaire and they used to do back projection, like, but it, it was just exactly like this kind of thing. You couldn't really make out what the hell it was, and it used to <laughs> fuck you up massively. Lisa, what were you thinking when you watched this for the first time at this point yesterday? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. 
Uh-huh. <laughs> I mean, I stick by my four-word review of this film. That, uh, that panel uh, looks like uh, Columbia borrowed it from uh, Kiss the Girls and Make Them Die, where uh, the villain had a panel like that. Um, came out in 66 from the same studio. Hmm. So I have a question about money. So let me let's say <laughs> Peter Sellers was promised a certain amount of money to do yep. this. And and he felt trapped, so he wanted to leave. So how much did he get paid? Does he get paid his entire amount? Yes. Well, <laughs> yeah. probably. He had the Rolls Royce, I guess. So Peter Tool's coming up here. <laughs> Not yet, but it's so biz- it's so freaking bizarre. But like uh-huh. Oh, do do do! Here we are. There he is, Peter O'Toole with the glasses. <laughs> Maybe that's what Jack Lemmon's cameo was going to be. <laughs> <laughs> Very yeah, strange. Did, they cut that out. The Oscars tribute to Peter O'Toole, didn't they? <laughs> 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 they, 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 they chopped it out of the. Uh, Oscar's but this is where the whole Everybody. film starts to make sense for me because it's just a complete mind fuck. <laughs> I know, but Ursula Andress looks good in Tartan. <laughs> oh, and, and bagpipes with a machine gun in mm. it. Uh, the world's not enough. That's a gadget that comes back there. But how did she know to come here to do this? I mean, this is just so <laughs> random that you're going to have a group of bagpipers. And you're gonna kill them all. But this was like this was like this is this was not not supposed to be Peter Sellers' character's end. That's why we have, it's very choppy and they're just like a still there and we don't actually see him die. It's an old Morris Binder trick, isn't it? Like, he hopes mm. nobody notices these still. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, if only you could do that on Zoom calls. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't stand at once, Orson Welles, in this film. Anyway. Much like Lois Maxwell in (laughs) The Spy Who Loved Me and Moonraker. (laughs) We've only got like 25 minutes left about. There's a lot that happens in this. The longest 25 minutes. Well, I don't know. I feel like there's going to be a lot happening (laughs) in in this time. Uh... I found her haircut to be just, I didn't know who she was at first. Mm. Yeah, because I think these scenes were shot much later, uh, and I think she'd already had a haircut for another part or something like that. And yeah. they were like, "Oh, we need to actually wrap up a film. <laughs> we are going to, yeah, gonna use you back." Uh, I was like, "Who is this person?" Seeing this in No Time to Die. Hmm. Horse Guards Parade. Spoiler. We'll be seeing that. <laughs> and not this. <laughs> Although, who knows? You never mm. know. Safin walks out of a UFO. <laughs> <laughs> I am your, your, your brother's cousin. <laughs> <laughs> From a different planet. I forgot about the UFO. 
Wow. Wow. It's not even a good UFO, is it? No, it's terrible. So he's got an assortment of phones. So I noticed that her costuming is the same costuming that she wore after she had her little love fest with the other guy. Is he wearing the same clothes? And if he is, did they shoot all this at the same time? Yeah. Maybe. That would make sense. Hmm. I just remember liking her outfit and I get a second taste of it. I didn't recognize you with your habit um. so who so she's giving information about his daughter being kidnapped so does that mean that she's working for the bad guy again I think trying to figure this <laughs> like I don't understand where she fits in on this if she went to a convent well, it must be serious because he's on the red phone. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> <sighs> I don't know. It's about the same level as uh, as um, you only lived tw- twice, though, with the uh, rockets, so isn't it? But this is, this is of the era of Thunderbirds and stuff. Yeah. So there's really no excuse for these models to be crap like this. It's terrible. <laughs> like, it's really bad. And you told can, you said they had a budget. Yeah. Yep. And you can see you can actually see the wire. They're dragging it up. On the <laughs> <laughs> oh man. So yeah, all of that just to get her there. There wasn't a way to just I don't know kidnap her, bring her in a car, and oh, use a teleporter and save the money, right? <laughs> At this point. Okay. Well, that was a very Bondian door, though, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. And so what is this place? Is this place another casino or is this a restaurant? Yeah, this casino is the, Royale. Yeah, Casino Royale. Yeah. Oh. Oh, yeah. Okay. I saw the wallpaper. <laughs> I gotcha. And the lions. Dominic Cummings. And uh, <laughs> Sc- Scottish men. It's all coming together. The whole story is... Making sense, all making sense. <laughs> <laughs> all the threads are being tied up neatly. <laughs> hmm. uh, okay. <laughs> I thought you were about to start singing there. You know what? It would probably be a little bit more entertaining than what we're seeing. Go for it. Mm-hmm. No. <laughs> this is so weird. I think some of these sets are really nice, though. This villain's yeah. worth stuff. This is, yeah. Yeah, it wouldn't be out of place in a, in a proper Bond film, would it? No. No, this. <laughs> Compared to the Spectacle Center. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Oh, and I do love some of this more psychedelic stuff. With, uh, uh, yeah. I mean, this is straight Benny Hill, this, isn't it? Coming in mm. and out the doors. Mm. Yeah, but it, 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 uh, for, for me, this film works when it's completely weird as shit. 
I, I, mm. I, yeah, th- 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 this this stuff is fine, and all that kind of um, completely weird stuff with the with the marching band and stuff. I, I thought was good. This is this is fine because it doesn't need to have, make any narrative sense. Mm. I, I agree with you, actually, David. On that, I, I think this kind of stuff feels like it it knows what it is more than a lot of the Peter Sellers. <laughs> stuff yeah. uh, which yeah. feels to be on this weird and i'm sure that's because the actor wanted to do a different thing to what he was hired to do and um, all of the yeah. conflict and whatnot but at least this stuff feels like okay it's crazy and we know it so let's just roll with it david Niven's playing it straight mm-hmm. it's really good mm. but i think what you're saying like so, at least for me a lot of this works because of the imagery i like the set design um it is you know, psychedelic, it's exaggerated, it it doesn't fully make sense. And I think that it works. Like if the entire film was stylized in this way, maybe um, I would probably like it more. Yeah. And I could mm. even understand like the expressionist um, elements. Like I just, like there's moments of, of this where I'm like, there's a lot of potential here. Mm. And then other moments where I'm like, it's a mishmash of films. Like, I think this would be a very different film if it followed David Niven and it was going through these phases versus the Peter Sellers component, which Mm. I don't think actually fully meshes. Mm. (laughs) It's like a cartoon magnet. (laughs) I do mm-hmm. like the armchairs made out of gold bullion. Yeah. Those are chairs? Mm-hmm. I wondered what they were before. Right. Mm-hmm. It's the Spectre briefing room, isn't it? <laughs> Straight from the man with the golden gun. It, this, this, mm-hmm. is, this is influenced by Ian Fleming. Mm. Kind of. Ish. So, Ian Fleming-ish. This, this came out a couple of months before Young Live Twice. The production was somewhat ahead of Young Live Twice. Um, his outfit here is where you know where did they pull the Blofeld you only have twice costume from? Hmm. I don't know if different, but the whole idea of it. Yeah, I guess Doctor No had a navy mm. jacket, didn't he? Yeah. Uh, actually, yeah, he'd oh. been the only one. Sorry, I I had to uh, I had to uh, bring groceries in after my wife returned. So <laughs> yes, like okay. <laughs> You were talking about the neighbor jacket, like, okay, how did they decide between Blofeld and You Only Live Twice and Dr. Noah in this? They mm-hmm. dress exactly the same. And it's like, okay, did like Dr. Did You Only Live Twice steal from this film? Did this film steal from You Only Live Twice? How did this happen? Mm-hmm. I have no idea. I think it would just be coincidence. Like, it, it, you know, uh, cinematic villains, a lot of them do tend to wear Nehru jackets. I, I guess it's like a... I don't know. It's, you know, it, a way for... Isn't, isn't, it, isn't it Bond that's that, that that's done that? Yeah. But, well, but, but, I know, but I think this, you, you can go remember, back... remember, Blofeld was wearing a suit in from Russia with Love and mm. Thunderball. Like, you couldn't see his face, but he's wearing, you know, a suit and tie. Yeah. It's like, you know, it's like Donald Pleasance is like wearing the same outfit that Woody Allen's wearing. Mm. By the way, I did, um, since I was get, way getting my groceries, um, Dalla Lobby, who is also in The Silencers, Israeli actress, and uh, 
interesting outfit here. Um, it's got to be pretty. Yeah. <laughs> yes. But uh, she's laughing at him and don't laugh at me. Don't laugh at me. And mm-hmm. whatever. But mm-hmm. uh, Strumberg, Strumberg missed Mr. Trick with his. <laughs> yes. Yeah, really. And yeah, sombrero. Because that makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, God. If you're listening and you're wondering what's going on right now, Woody Allen's playing the piano, and it's just bizarre. <laughs> he's putting the sombrero on. The sombrero is on the top of the piano. And now he's punching his uh, punching bag with uh, David Niven, and now he's on his... Oh, God, what is this? So remind me, Woody Allen's character is what relation to David Niven's character? Nephew. Nephew. So this is James Bond nephew becomes a supervillain. Mm. Jimmy, Jimmy Bond versus James Bond's adopted brother. Jim, you Jimmy, you know, Jimmy Bond, aka Doctor Noah, N O A H. Which again is a good concept, I think. Like if they're going this whole family thing, um, it probably should be Bond's daughter that's with him on this mission instead of Money Penny. Well, but I think that the actress yeah, could only do so many days, and she'll disappear this, from the end of the film. Um, the, the, this all sets up a great uh, lyric in the end title song. I'll put it that way. We'll get to that when we get there. Where it's very, very hot. Do 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 do. And now um, he's gonna swallow an explosive pill, or he's gonna be tricked into swallowing an explosive pill. Yes. Uh, oh God. Uh-huh. Can I go George back to Ra- your? Can I go back to your point, Calvin? Though I think mm. you 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 raise a great point about how this could probably work better, and I think that this entire film could have been a James Bond family film with the daughter, mm. with the nephew, and it makes more sense to have her there rather than Money Penny's daughter. Um, and, and I think that that would have just been, again, I I get that there might be actor issues. There's a lot of actor issues going on here, but Mm. I think it would have, things would make more sense because it doesn't really make sense why Money Penny's daughter is going along for the ride in in, in this particular narrative. Also, Mm. since I miss it, who is Della Lavi supposed to be? Oh. She was one of the women that was testing Bond at the beginning. Yes. Oh, okay. okay. Um, I've, got, I've got some input on the Nehru jacket. Ooh. Yeah. Ooh. Via, via, via Google and via Wikipedia or something. Uh, the Beatles yeah. wore them in 1965. Probably the reason they became popular in, in, in the late 60s was the Beatles. Uh, huh. And so Dr. No was a trendsetter. Hmm. Okay. And now Woody Allen has his duplicates of world Del leaders, Lobby, obviously, to be um, used in a Rank Benson movie. Oh, mm-hmm. there, um, there is also a um, Woody Allen uh, appearance on What's My Line. Not directly uh, promoting this film, but like at some point they mentioned, like, oh, Woody Allen just returned from London where he was filming Casino Royale and hmm. whatever. But but of course, Woody Allen has a lot of creep factor. Um, for various reasons we won't go into real life issues, but uh yeah. Oh, and my wife is like hitting the uh thing that you might be hearing. But 
oh, there's a line coming up that I do love when she says, the drink. <laughs> I have been known to say that when I'm near a bar or something. <laughs> I'll nudge my oh, friends and say, the drink. Oh, and of course, <laughs> now we have this protracted thing where she's trying to slip him the thing. Oh, this is the very elaborate set. Like, this is just... <laughs> Like, how much money to to spend on this? Ken, and, you know what? I have this. I have this image of Ken Adam watching this film in a theater. Like, damn it! Why couldn't I get the film? Get the money to film something like this? <laughs> there she goes. Yeah. So he's going to swallow the explosive pill, and then that's going to set us up for our fantastic ending. <laughs> <laughs> the ending that we're all just can't wait to get to. But wouldn't you notice swallowing a pill? Like, I get dissolving yeah. something in your drink, but like a pill is a chunk. You know mm. what I mean? Mm. Especially when there's a blue yeah. uh, <laughs> thing coming out of your nose. <laughs> Goodbye. Mm. What? Whoa. Blah, blah, blah. What? All it needed was a sad trombone sound. Look at this set. Hmm. <laughs> Like the art this department. Is the, this is the James Bond theme park crash. <laughs> <laughs> the employees of drop. the art department like had to like how much overtime were they getting for this? Like yeah. uh, you bring kids is, under four that can handle that. Oh but like if, and if, they we, if, up we, their if we all if we all try to go to the James Bond theme park as a group, that's where they're gonna lock us in. <laughs> <laughs> but without the bar. Uh, oh god. Uh-huh. Oh, we, oh, we haven't even gotten to the uh, oh the the climax yet, where it's like all the people parachute in. Don't spoil it. We're Don't almost spoil there. It. Don't spoil it. <laughs> <laughs> spoil. It's like oh, okay, fine. Before the fuse burns out. Before before what happens? Before the fuse burns out. Before we all blow up. <laughs> oh god oh we've got um david prouse coming up here mm-hmm. as oh. uh, frankenstein's monster david uh, prouse of course is the man uh, behind uh, darth vader's helmet you didn't do the voice obviously but uh we'll see him in a moment oh there he is mm. oh as frankenstein's monster yeah because oh, oh, you know why not why, why not? not yeah it's like not that this movie can be accused of being subtle <laughs> <laughs> oh, there he goes up to the Oh, dude, dude! I'm surprised they got away with that actually, because I think Universal owned the rights to that, like not Frankenstein's monster by name, but the specifically yes. the the design Absol- with the bolts, and the bolts in the neck. And and oh, absolutely, yeah. yes, yes, absolutely. It's mm-hmm. like, well, well, yeah, but that goes back to the those were more innocent days because, again, with Thunderball, mm-hmm. you had Mister Peanut, you had captain morgan in the uh, junk canoe sequence mm. like today there'd be like all sorts of rights fights mm. i want one of those cars mm. that's your dodgems in james bond land right <laughs> yeah yeah oh god oh now here she just like yeah she's just out of the film it's just the actress just i guess her contract was up so we need mm. to get the character out what's she gonna do oh, i'm just gonna go through this leave. Yeah. And now Bond's daughter's <laughs> going to do the same, I think. Couldn't have enjoyed it more. Right, off you go. The check, cla- <laughs> the che- the check cleared. <laughs> I'm done. I'm out of here. Yeah, but those are characters who survived the film. 
think yeah. about it that way. <laughs> At least, yeah. Oh, oh, Vesper is like uh, draws the gun on Sir James. Mm. And do I care? Not really, but I do love it. There's like a, a tiny attempt to sort of making sense of it, where Bond's like, "Why? Why did you do this?" And she says, "I did it for love, Sir James." And then he's about to ask more, and she says, "Nope, shut up." And here come the cowboys. <laughs> oh, and we are totally bizarrely. This is we're, oh. we're seven years before Blazing Saddles. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. And it's still not as funny as Blazing Saddles, <laughs> but um Oh, and here here comes Woody Allen with this various different colors. <laughs> Seals fighting. Seals fighting. One of the seals is 007. As a drone with the... Uh... <laughs> oh, yeah, they needed to do this laughing gas thing because they were concerned <laughs> that people were smiling and you know laughing in some of the footage, so they wanted to have the excuse of the laughing gas. So it's a plot point, believe it or not. <laughs> oh, God. Oh... David Niven. Uh, <laughs> oh my god. David Niven, was he trained by Bruce Lee for this? I don't know. But uh, probably not. But uh, Oh, and a donkey. <laughs> donkey. Oh, and a dog. Ah. A dog so biting didn't somebody dog on the butt. Did 007 on the collar? <laughs> probably. Yeah. Oh god. Oh, that, that's a lost opportunity as well. Oh, oh uh, golden girl. Mm. Yeah. Oh, oh, and now we've got double oh seven the Indians. Like, oh god. Oh, the, I, I remembered the Indians parachuting in, but like, okay, Native Americans. Oh, and Woody Allen still hiccuping uh, the different color of uh, gas or whatever. <laughs> what is this? That's oh. a model shop. It's unbelievable. They built a model <laughs> scenario just to yeah. put the model character. Going through the ceiling, that's a bit like that, the bit where Bond and Mitchell fall through the ceiling in front of a solid. And the Indian, the Indian had 007 paint on his forehead. Mm. Oh, and George Raft flipping a coin. William Holden, like, oh, he's back. a guy. Yeah, it's like he hasn't been in since the start of the movie. <laughs> It's like, I'm here to cut my check. <laughs> <laughs> I want to get some, uh, I want to get some booze because I'm a notorious alcoholic. <laughs> <laughs> oh. I, th- I think the bit with Jimmy Bond is he's hiccuping down like a hundred yeah. things. He's, it's a countdown until everything blows up. I think, <laughs> not that this makes sense, but. Wasn't and that guy like, uh, Sula Andres's boyfriend or something? Oh, Keystone Cops. The, the audience is fleeing the, the auditorium before they get blown up. Oh, God. It's, this is so... Ouch. Ouch. Oh, man. Okay. So this guy talking to... Um, uh, George Raft. Some people mistake him for David McCallum. He's not, but like no. from profile, he does kind of look like him. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> okay. Fine. Sorry. Sorry. 
Oh, God. We got there. Oh. And Sir James just killed a dozen people. Great. <laughs> All right. Back. And the guy with, oh, the Indians with, uh, never mind. But I have to oh. say, like, the Native American card is so problematic. Like, I get that this is supposed to be, like, you know, ridiculous and stuff, but I actually find it really offensive. You oh, know is. what I mean? Like, plus, plus, we had the seal with the 007 thing on his collar. You know, it's it's offensive. No, no question. Um, we're down to, like, 003, 002. There he goes. It all exploded. And everyone dies. Alphonse yeah. daughter's there as well. Yeah. She wasn't there. And there oh, Peter Sellers is back. <laughs> In footage shot <laughs> for yeah. completely different <laughs> oh, purposes. Oh, yeah. And he's going down where it's very, very hot. Boom, 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 boom. Do do do. Mm. Here's some more Peter Sellers footage, which we couldn't <laughs> use in the movie. <laughs> <laughs> Expensive Peter Sellers playing the piano on Ursula Andress's legs. That makes sense. Uh, Joanna Pettit, Dalla Lobby. It's apparently Car- uh, Carolyn Monroe's in here somewhere. I didn't spot her this time. Oh, around. Dr. Noah. Yeah, uh, Peter Sellers, Charles Boyer, John Houston. We're all getting our paychecks for this film. <sighs> Himself, George Raft. <laughs> Barbara Himself. Boucher. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Not a character. Just, yeah. Didn't even bother with that one characters. <laughs> we don't have time. Angela Sokol. Everybody else. Yeah. Future in the Honor Majesty's Secret Service. Yeah. Buttercup was her character title, such as it was. Boom, boom. Jack, Jackie Bissett instead of Jacqueline Bissett. But, yeah. So Miss Goodthighs was the character that. Um, Polo. What's the name turned in? Polo, Ronnie Corbett. <laughs> just, Polo was his character name. Oh. John Wells from uh, um, For Your Eyes Only. Q's yeah. assistant. Oh. Graham Stark, cashier. Okay, there it is. He's the uh, Pink Panther guy. Do, 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 do. And there he is, Le Chief's representative, Black Chabelle. Well. <laughs> yes. Well. Oh, dear. Well. Well, I. I, I mean, well, okay, okay. One. Everywhere by everybody. Most of us got paid. <laughs> the end. Well, okay. Mm. So one more, what could have been. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, where's my check for this? (laughs) Speaking of checks, I looked it up. Um, MGM paid $10 million to take over the rights to this film. Hmm. You know what? It was worth it just to get it off the, just like, so they could control the distribution. So like one more thing that could have been, um, and this came out this year was, and again, it was Jeremy Dunn's, so Joseph Heller, the author of uh, Catch-22, did a script for this. And what Duns did was he, he tracked uh, some Feldman papers in Los Angeles. And 
Duns was very proud of himself and was, you know, it was a great fine, but like, I think he, I think Duns thought the fine was a little more significant than it was because he talked about, yeah, Heller had this great idea. It was like Joseph Mengele was, uh, you know, the notorious Nazi had, um, taken scientists and separated their brains from their bodies, blah, blah, blah. And it was like, it would have been a great script. And like, I tweeted him after he wrote about it, I said, you realize that idea was in the wild, wild west in the spring of 1966, right? And like, what? He had no idea. It's like Heller's idea was actually made on a U.S. TV show with had spies and cowboys. So anyway. So Phil made $41 million. And if it didn't cost twelve million, it would probably made a nice profit, but mm. it costs a ridiculous amount to make. And you only have twice pulled in one hundred and eleven that year, so yeah. two, two, wow. months, two months later, and so. costs mm. three million less to make. So despite despite the uh, creators <laughs> crater set. Well, I, if I go another twenty years without seeing that film again, I'll be fine. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> well, it's I, been I, about I, tw- I, it's been about twenty since I saw it. So yeah. I'd go for a fan cut where it's just the all the psychedelic uh, moments edited together. It's a bit well, uneven, isn't it? Well, well, <laughs> what, well, what do we? Oh, well, seriously, I'm asking seriously. What do we think about this thing, this film? It's. I, um, I, oh, go ahead, James. You go first. I, I was just going to say, to a lesser degree, this is seen in the Bond franchise proper, which is when. They have way too much money and throw star power at it. Yes. It, it kind of turns to shit. Yeah. Yeah, you're quite right. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that, but yes. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. And I would just add this. It's like, you know, I, I, I've said this like multiple times, and I'll say it one more time during this podcast. It's like, why the hell? Did uh, Charles K. Feldman, when Connery asked for a million dollars, just say, sure, <laughs> whatever? Yeah, sure. How would, that work, I mean, how would it have even been, how would that have worked when they were shooting it? Well, you would, you, would have, you would have used one of the Ben Heck scripts. You would have, you know, he had plenty of like relatively. No, I mean, serious. like logistically, Connery was shooting the owner twice. It, you know, he, he would have had to wait. You know, it's like, or he would have shot it before you only live twice or shot it after. It's just whatever. It would have been better than this mess. It's yeah, just, true. you know, and, and maybe um, uh, Charles K. Feldman wouldn't have died out of a heart attack in 1968, a year after this film came out. Um, obviously, hindsight is perfect, but, uh, you know, it's like, it could have been worked out. It's like, and it would have been a better result than this. Sorry, Kevin, I trodden you in you. Oh, no, no, no. I, I was um, just going to do some sort of final thoughts on it. Um, 
I, it, it's a really weird one. Like I, I never, I would never like even consider just sort of like, oh, I've got a free evening, you know, a fancier Bond movie. What am I going to put in? Casino Royale, nineteen sixty-seven. Like never going to happen. <laughs> I, do, I do think that some. I do have the Blu-ray, which I'm. I think it's actually quite tricky to find um, these days. But uh, there is some really good extra stuff on that because I think some of the behind-the-scenes stuff is really fascinating, and I think maybe I would really appreciate a dramatization of some of the behind the scenes debacles that went on in making this because it's really quite fascinating but um otherwise as a film in its own it's there are bits there are definitely bits that i like and little episodes here and there or just moments that make me chuckle but it's a slog and it doesn't help that the moments that i like tend to sort of be in the second hour so the first hour with you know all the stuff with Bond going to the Scottish Castle and Peter Sellers and that stuff is all very, very dull. Um, it's an... No, it's not even in, an interesting curio. It's just this bizarre little thing on the sideline of the franchise, a footnote, really. Um, yeah, there, But there are elements of it that I get something out of, I guess, is what I'm saying. You know what? There is a Euro spy film called Kiss the Girls and Make Them Die, or, or as I call it, moonraker 66 because you know it's like remarkably similar to moonraker mm. and it's like that is far more entertaining than this film is because at least it has a narrative at least it does you know it's like they actually it it's set entirely in uh brazil and you like they they actually make more use of brazil than moonraker did for brazil but it, I, I'm not trying to say it's better than Moonraker. I don't want to go there. But it's like it's better than this by <laughs> by, by leaps and bounds. Mm. And and it this this is just Charles K. Feldman. He screwed up, and mm. he like he he made a number of good films like um, oh what is it with uh, Marlon Brando and Vivian Lee. Um, in the fifties, oh, streetcar named streetcar Desire? named Desire. Yeah. yeah, he produced that. Oh, so like, he? I didn't he, know that. Yeah, okay. yeah. So, so he had a, you know, it's like even you know, what's new? Pussycat is better than this. So, mm. you know, he he just messed up, and I would argue it like led to his premature death because I think he was like sixty eight when he died of a heart attack. So, mm. that, it's, that, it's that, lucky Ian Fleming wasn't alive. <laughs> yes, yes. Because it would have finished him off. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Can I give you the variety one-sentence tagline on this from 1960? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yes. Ba- based freely on Ian Fleming's novel, the storyline defines sane description. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, well, going back to what James mentioned when we viewed the main titles suggested by the novel by Ian Fleming, that tells you all you need to know. That's 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 a warning <laughs> sign right there. I think it's very honest because today it'll be like based on true events. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. So the variety review ends. The twelve million dollar film is a conglomeration of frenzied situation, in gags, and special effects lacking discipline and cohesion. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Yeah. Can't argue with that. (laughs) That's a a review that has aged very well. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, Orson Welles, though, um, his portrayal of Le Chiffre is almost exactly uh, out of the book. Uh, Mm. 
I mean, there's not very much Ian Fleming in there, but uh, I, I guess that's part of it. And what I was saying earlier about uh, Dave Niven uh, uh, as James Bond, he, he, he's probably closer to Ian Fleming's idea of Bond than than, than Connery, for example. So, uh, I don't know. It's just, yeah, it's very, 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 very odd. It would have been fun to see a younger David Niven. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Doing it. Right, because bear in mind, David Niven was 57 when this was released. So, 37-year-old David Niven? Well, maybe, but 57? Not so much. There's been 57-year-old James Bond's hanging off the line of fire trucks. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's true. That's true. It's really annoying because there are elements in there, like David Niven like being cast as James Bond. He's like a really good example of, like, that's on paper, that's a really good choice. Like, this could have worked. There's elements here that could have... It just needed some kind of coherent, creative voice throughout the production, because as far as I can tell, the only person who was really there through all of it from a production standpoint was Charles K. Feldman, who was not a right. creative, you know, he wasn't a, a writer, a director, and I think you needed someone with some kind of a vision other than just, I'm gonna get my pocketbook out and see who's free to come in on Tuesday, and you know, we'll just film yes. whatever. I mean, if, if, if you'd had if you'd had if you'd had Lee Brackett if you had had, um, you know, um, Joseph Heller, if you had had Ben Hecht, any of them, any of them, like, would have, it would have been worth, those would have been curios. This mm -hmm. is like screenplay by committee and, like, God knows what, I, I, I have this image that, like, they had, like, dozens of scripts and like somebody was like cutting and pasting them into like something as they were shooting. I, I have no idea. If you tell Mike the Myers. Process. Mm. Yeah. I think Austin Powers took a lot from this. Yeah. Mm. Versus, yeah. I know it often gets called a James Bond spoof, but it's it, a lot of it's a casino. Yeah, I, I, I think you, yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. I mean, down to the little three wheeler cars and everything. Well, and, and like uh, somebody mentioned, when uh, it was uh, Peter Sellers in that weird outfit, he was on the rotating bed with uh, Ursula Andress. Mm -hmm. Like that looked very Austin Powers like. Uh, and whoever made that observation, my hat's off to you. That was uh, James. Okay. But I hadn't thought until I saw it today, I hadn't put that together. That that's, it was shot, for, it's almost shot for shot of International Man of Mystery. That, that scene. Yeah. So, Lisa, you've had, um, what, 36 <laughs> hours, and you've seen it twice, which oh, I think yeah. is like crime against humanity. <laughs> <laughs> I think you might be the only person since 1967. Since, yeah. since a projectionist. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, honestly, I've seen it twice within 24 hours, so... Um, uh, I agree with what all of you have said. I mean, I'm not sure if I can add something, you know, brilliant. And I think my biggest issue is that it, the film doesn't make sense. And I think just part of our, uh, us as, as viewers, we want to make sense of what we're seeing, but it's a mishmash from the outset in terms of production. It's a mishmash in terms of the creative design. It's a mishmash in terms of the performances we get. And it's sort of this, you know, when you see a collage 
that's what it kind of is in different waves and different shapes and different textures, but it doesn't work as a whole. And I think there are interesting moments throughout visually. I think that there are a couple of really great performances throughout. Um, I feel as though there's a lot of like narrative potential throughout, whether we're talking about the code theory, whether we're talking about James Bond has a daughter, whether we're talking about like a family struggle with the nephew. I think that there's a lot of interesting elements throughout and any one of them could have been taken and 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 made uh, into a smarter film. And even when it comes to David Niven, I'm cool with it with a 57 year old David Niven playing James Bond. But then give me 57 year old David Niven as James Bond. Give me a whole movie of him doing it, and I would be cool with him defying expectations, not being a lover, and really pushing back on that. You know, him getting you know his 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 Bond style back. Um, I think it. it, it could have been a really interesting film having him be be, be the one playing the baccarat right you know utilizing oh. his experience i think there's a way to do a creative casino royale and instead of it being bond at the beginning of his career being it flipped bond at the end of his career with different types of allies and connections because his life has you know he's already lived his life something like that would blow my mind but instead we got you know, just a mishmash of like some potential and a whole bunch of crap <laughs> put well, together. And, and I, I think that that's really frustrating as somebody who loves Bond and who loves movies where you just look at it and you're like, what is going on? And I don't like having that feeling when I watch one of these films because I want to like it. I want it to be a gem in the world of Bond and it is not. Well, and in a slight defense, I will say that like 57-year-old David Niven takes command of MI6 once that uh, John Houston uh, has comically been blown up. So that's slightly different. Um, yeah, I mean, it, that's not much of a defense, but I'll, I'll toss that in there. Um, yeah. Th- that's it for me. <laughs> but then it could have been him rebuilding the double O program, right? Coming in, like imagine a former Bond becoming the next M and bringing mm-hmm. in those ideas and those experiences. And like he says, making it a whole fleet of James Bonds. You know, I think that it's all of it's a cool concept that they could have just run with, just run with it. And instead, right. I it, don't know. It, but, uh, it, but, uh, it uh, sort uh, of uh, is such as it is, but. Yeah. No, wait, but when you when you talk about it like that, Lisa, are you talking about um, the the concept as a straight bond film, or are you still thinking of it as uh, as a let's say inverted commas comedy? I think it could work either way. Hmm. I, as I, long as I, it has like a full intention of a start and a finish and a plot line that makes sense, instead of whatever. I mean, Casino Royale doesn't really have a full plot line. Like, it's a whole bunch oh. of mishmash stuff. And I think that if you did have, like, a clear destination for your film, then you could pick the type of creative approach that you could take. I mean, I would love to see it as a straight-laced film, but I also think David Niven and his comedic timing, I would love to see him have all the humorous bits and, mm-hmm. you know, utilize his, his facial reactions and have a lot of gags. I'm cool with that as well. I just feel as though... Either or, one or the other of those would just have been a much better, smarter, funnier film um, than than what we got. Because what we got, I, it just didn't. Lots of stuff. As, as I mean, Bill kept saying this: like, if you're gonna do this, make it funny. 
And I think mm. maybe that's part of the problem is that it's just not funny. Like I'm not mm-hmm. laughing throughout. I'm laughing, you know, and Calvin and I have talked about a few of like the parts that we liked, but like there's a lot of space in between me laughing at the first one and me laughing at the second one. Yeah, I know. I mean, and, m- m- most of the in between, you just left puzzled, aren't you? Yeah. Oh, and, and, and I keep going back to that possibility that did not materialize in late 1962 of having Lee Brackett scripting, Howard Hawks directing, and maybe Cary Grant playing James Bond is like, I would have loved to see that. And, but it didn't happen. So it's like one of the great what ifs of uh, Bond history. And we're left with a, a what the fuck instead. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's a what the actual fuck. <laughs> yeah. 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 WTAF. Uh, that, uh, that, that's actually my favorite phrase at the moment. I love it. <laughs> I, I'm far too old to use it, but I do. You're never too old for WTAF. <laughs> not in the age of Corona, you're not. <laughs> use it away. <laughs> All right, guys, any final thoughts? Uh, it like, doesn't get worse I feel, than I feel, this. I feel stupid around watching this. It. it Again, um, Lisa's made reference to this and others. It's like, you know what? This is what happens when you have too much money and mm-hmm. like not enough imagination and just good grief. Like, actually, Bill, yeah, yeah. Um, I, 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 was, I was, take, you know, take Connery up on the million dollars. Yes, Sean. Yeah. But I, 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 I wonder if when they were hiring all the people, they, they, all, all the actors and so on, they were thinking, uh, this is the talent. They bring, they bring what we need to the film. And uh, it, was it just completely not understanding the way that filmmaking works? Mm. Do you mean that because we've got these actors we just basically have to roll camera and we'll get yeah, a gem because yeah, they're, they're always <laughs> funny in their films and, or they always bring whatever to their films and so it's going to work yeah. but it, without I mean, I mean, without understanding that you need to actually get somebody to write the dialogue and write the and, jokes and have a story and have a story and have jokes that are funny hmm. i mean it's like George Raft flipping a coin. Okay, it's like, okay, that's a parody of something he did back in the 20s, 30s, whatever. It's like, okay, it's like 1967 now. It's like, uh, oh, I'm just laughing. I'm falling on the floor laughing. Not. Uh, hmm. like, what are you doing? I will say that I would still take this over Never Say Never Again. <laughs> I would much rather what? sit through this. Yeah. Yeah. <gasps> I, I would probably even take it over Spectre. Uh, would would you take it over uh, uh, James Bond as James Bond? Wah, 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 wah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know where I would rank this one with Spectre. I think that's that's a very interesting. Qu- what would I want to sit through but, again? But, but, but of course, Spectre. <laughs> 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 oh gosh! <laughs> I'm done. All right. And on that note, <laughs> <laughs> can't say we don't earn our money doing this. All right. <laughs>
I would like to, if, if, if someone has actually sat through and listened to this whole thing, I'd love to hear from them. Uh, <laughs> it, it was a struggle enough for us to record it, never mind <laughs> someone to sit through it. No, we're sorry. Are you, are you inviting them to at you, Kevin? I like, I like Lisa, what Lisa just said. We're sorry. <laughs> we appreciate you listening to our podcast. Yeah. <laughs> and Calvin, you, you know what you'll get, though? It's like, you're so arrogant telling us this yes. about this film. You'll, 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 you'll just get the Casino Royale 67 lovers. <laughs> <laughs> oh, now. I'm really- <laughs> the whole feed is braces from Moonraker and Casino Royale 67 just like messaging you non-stop oh, you <laughs> yeah, braces in Casino Royale 1967 yeah. I saw them oh, I, saw, mm. see, I saw Sean Connery in the background in Casino Royale 67 as well <laughs> <laughs> do not try and deny it in the, in the print I saw Years ago on ITV. Yeah. I saw a munchkin hanging from a tree and there was a ghost behind uh, Ted Danson at some point. Uh, and, also and, in the film. Lisa said the, the the Indians parachuting in, that's very offensive. The Native Americans. Who thought the Native Americans, indigenous people parachuting in? It's like, who thought that was a good idea? Like, please. Mm. Maybe the costumes were being used for some other production next door. Who knows? <laughs> Who knows? All right. Uh, we'll get on to something more interesting next time. <laughs> more enjoyable. How's that? I can yeah. hardly wait to get the uh, reaction, but it's going to be a few weeks, I know. Yeah. All right. Mm. Thanks very much, everybody. And um, mm. thanks for putting up with us if you're listening. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Take Bye care, all. everybody. See ya. Maybe one day you'll find true love.